Welcome to the Jungle, the Auburn Basketball Podcast, hosted by Matt Donaldson and Jackson Garrett, two Auburn alums, no filter, no frills, just basketball. We got a special treat today. Uh, we're having Jay Phillips of AuburnLive.com, part of the On3 network, on to talk a little SEC preview and uh, let us hear his thoughts on Auburn basketball. Uh, welcome to the podcast, Jay. Thanks for having me, guys. Anytime. Um, so give the people a little bit of background on yourself, uh, your background with Auburn. You know, how long did you grow up following the team and kind of where that's led you to your role now? Yeah, so I definitely grew up a big Auburn fan. My, uh, my, my, my dad's family is from the area. My grandparents taught at the university and stuff like that. So it was, I was born an Auburn fan and uh, grew up loving basketball, played basketball from a young age. So that was kind of my favorite sport and everything. Even growing up in the South, I just never stuck with baseball or football or anything like that. I was always in a gym. So it was natural that I was an Auburn basketball fan. And, um, you know, I was four or five years old when they had the 1990, 2000, you know, all that stuff. So that wasn't, you know, that I was aware that Auburn was good at basketball then and stuff like that. But my real love of Auburn basketball started coming around the Marquise Daniels run and uh, it was hit and miss after that, you know, but always stuck around with it. Uh, grew up an Orlando magic fan as well. I don't know why, but um, I got some good basketball in there as well. Kind of helped, uh, cure some of the bad years with Auburn and stuff like that. So always grew up a big basketball fan, always watching basketball. And uh, when Bruce got hired, I was, you know, in college at the time and didn't really, you know, I was in social media or like in sports media in my classes and stuff like that. And so I created this Auburn account to just tweet about basketball and, you know, have fun and stuff. And it really took off and it's just gone from there. I wrote for, you know, Sky Underwood at, Power Dixieland and Fly War Eagle and uh, Blake Lavelle at SEC Hoops and now I'm over at On Three and we got we had the Bruce blog thing going as well so it's just been something I've always stuck with and always loved covering the team following the team and yeah it is <laughs> I remember hearing that uh, on, on another podcast you were on and I connected with a lot of that you know I grew up in the South playing basketball and my dad went to Auburn so I was raised like that and it's uh mm -hmm. it's 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 a it's been an interesting journey. I, we're, you're, you're probably a little younger than me, but um, I think people who have been through all that just have this great appreciation for what we're getting yeah, to experience really. now. Um, so talk about Bruce Pearl. I mean, you, you mentioned that as kind of a big turning point. Obviously, it was for the whole program. We're, we're so many years into this now through some adversity and uh, through some success. Like what makes him, in your mind, to me, like one of the best coaches in the conference at least. And I, and I think one of the more underrated coaches in America. Yeah, I'm with you on that. And he does so many things well too. He's a good team builder, a good talent evaluator. Uh, and just the staff as a whole, you know, Bruce never talks about one thing he does without giving credit to someone else on the staff. And it does seem like it is a really good staff. You know, they got guys who have developed players and guys who have been head coaches elsewhere and won at other places, whether it be high school or, college level, whatever the case. Um, but he has, you know, he's built a really good staff. He's built a culture. 
and he's just obviously the master motivator thing always comes into play with Bruce Pearl and how important that was to get the students and the fan base involved, how important that is to recruit with. And it, there's just not much he doesn't do well. And, you know, I, I, Bruce Pearl has said himself that he doesn't have the biggest basketball background in the world prior, you know, before he started coaching. And even the things that you think that that might affect, you know, he has so he had, you know, all these innovative out of bounds plays and defensive sets and stuff at Tennessee that he used that were just, you know, great. And some of them have been kind of outdated with the new officiating rules and stuff like that with pressing, but it's still one of those things, you know, you get a baseline out of bounds play with Auburn and it's like, Oh, that's two points. And he's just, he does it all, man. And, and defending, and those you know, guys. I feel biased. <laughs> no, no, and 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 we do too. I mean, we're huge Bruce Pearl guys, and it's easy to. We, we always talk about how well if he was your guy, if he was, you know, ask Tennessee fans. Even now, most of the Tennessee fans I know still huge fans of Bruce Pearl. Mm-hmm. It's, it's getting a little testy now that Auburn's won so many in a row against them. But uh, I think when he's your guy, it's a totally different perspective. And we talk a lot about how ridiculous some of the old stuff that's kind of clung to him you know, in terms of his national reputation and stuff and how he's looked at, I think you hit on a big point, you know, he's not the traditional basketball guy. He didn't go through some of the traditional coaching circles. So I think that's interesting. So Auburn's 11 and one, we've been bragging a lot on this team. We've had a lot of fun. Uh, We haven't had to cover a loss yet technically, because we just did a podcast over the whole tournament. Um, (laughs) So we've had fun with this kind of starting this up, but obviously I think the SEC is super deep at the top. I think it's going to be a really awesome year. What are some of the potential problems or limitations you think this team might have based on what you've seen so far as the level of competition really ramps up? That's hard to say because they really have played so well. You know, even in the loss, it was shot for shot, just looked like a couple of teams, you know, a couple of really good teams going at each other kind of thing. And, um, I do think, you know, the the big question that I had early on was outside shooting. Uh, Jabari Smith has been great there. Wendell Green has been great there. But once you start to play, like take LSU, for example, you're going to be playing a backcourt with Xavier Pinson and Eric Gaines and just a bunch of guards who have these ridiculous wingspans and they're super athletic, super stubborn, you know, physical guards. And I do wonder how... Wendell Green, Zepp Jasper, and Katie Johnson are going to shoot against a team like that. And I think the other question I have right now, and I'm pretty confident that they're going to get that one going, is the shooting guard position. Um, Katie Johnson's been slumping lately. Zepp Jasper isn't doing too much there offensively. He had a little little spurt against SLU, but uh, that's one of the things that I'd like to see them do and just, you know, have a consistent backcourt. I think the point guard position has gotten there. Uh, Wendell Green and Zepp Jasper, you know what they're going to do every single game kind of thing for the most part. Sometimes they outperform expectations at this point, but it's, you know, you, they both have an identity for the point guard position. Katie Johnson, I thought, had the first one, but he has strayed away from that a little bit. Yeah, we, we, we talk about Katie all the time. You know, um, we were like a Katie fanboy podcast there for a few weeks. <laughs> just because, and this kind of leads into my other question. Uh, and I don't want to steal your answer potentially, but, it, you know, was there – is there something that has been the most positive surprise? Because with so many newcomers on this team, you know, even Jabari, right? Jabari is an incredibly 
mm-hmm. talented kid, but until you see it on the college level, you don't really know how that's going to show up. And KD was one of those for me, his defensive tenacity, the way he was just making so many impactful winning plays. Um, is there one or two things that has, has stood out in a really positive way that's helped Auburn get to this point? I think Wendell Green is a big uh, factor in that case. I thought, you know, I really liked Wendell Green. I was tweeting about him before Auburn had even shown interest, saying that this would be a good player for Auburn to target just because he does so many of the things that guys like Sharif Cooper were taken away from the team. And uh, so I'm a really big Wendell Green fan, but my thought was that he was going to need a season to really come into form. And I do still think that if he's here next year, which it seems a good chance that he will be, that he's going to be a all-conference type player just with that experience and, you know, learning how to run Bruce's offense the way he wants it and kind of thing, all that kind of stuff. But uh, his scoring has been a huge surprise to me. I thought that was going to be the area that he struggled in early on. And it seems like everything else, you know, he hasn't had many huge struggles, especially recently, but scoring has been his strength. Uh, I thought he was just going to get, just going to be too small, not in the weight room long enough, you know, not, just a bunch of factors that I didn't think, but that has been huge. And I think it spaces out the offense and makes everything better. He definitely spaces out the offense. I mean, so oh, yeah. <laughs> some of his uh, shots from, I think Justin Ferguson sent out last night, I think he's three for four now in the season over yep. 31 feet, you know? <laughs> um, yeah, that's crazy. Me, Wendell, you know, the fact that he was starting and just so easily, was willing to kind of yield that to KD. He's still playing just as many minutes as Zeph and KD are, but mm-hmm. his energy, his offense off the bench, uh, which our whole bench is ridiculous, the amount of talent. Oh, yeah. But um, yeah, I, I, Wendell's been better than I thought. And I think the defensive, you know, everybody talked about Zeph Jasper's defense um, coming into the season. I was really impressed that Wendell and KD have kind of joined that. And I think bringing Flanagan in now, you've just got oh, yeah. to, if they buy in defensively on the perimeter, which you kind of have to at their size, playing against the only one that has that SEC height and length, um, I think that could be go a long way. So shifting to the SEC, um, you know, I think a lot of people have talked nationally. This might be – it's the first time in my life I remember people talking about the SEC potentially being the best basketball conference, which we know it's been ascending and getting better. Um, people talking six, seven, eight, nine teams potentially getting in. Um, I think this is a championship chasing Auburn team. You know, I think that Mm -hmm. has kind of shown, it doesn't mean you're going to win it, but I think they're in the conversation. Who are the other teams that you think before the the conference play begins that, you know, you think will be there to the end? Uh, I feel like Kentucky has a pretty good chance at that right now. They're just so talented. They got a good mixture of some of everything, good guards, good bigs. They got experience, not the greatest continuity, but that's something Cal has to overcome or, you know, I don't think that's going to be something that pulls this team down out of the top four or anything like that. Um, Alabama, it looked like, was going to be the team early on, but they've hit a bit of a slump. They're not the same defensive squad they were last year. And just I'm not I'm not quite sure if you know, they don't have all those just keep subbing in guards that can go for 30 points kind of thing. That's it, just not who they are this year. So maybe they uh, can they still have plenty of talent. They can get there, but I'm not sure if they're on the same level as uh, Auburn, Kentucky right now. LSU is, you know, deserves some attention there as well, but they haven't really played anyone. So, you know, this game against Auburn is going to be their litmus test. And if they look good or beat Auburn somehow, then 
Uh, I think that you got to put them in that. But, you know, Auburn, Kentucky, and Tennessee are looking like that group right now. Can't ever count Rick Barnes out either until you get to the postseason. But uh, he's uh, got them going. You know, Kennedy Chandler's looking good in the backcourt. That's, you know, that was what they really needed. So, so other than, like, staying healthy, I agree with you, by the way. I think that five team, I, it seems like that should be the five. Of course, mm-hmm. I really think it could be wide open. I think people are going to beat up on each other and yep. get injuries. So assuming health, assuming things kind of keep going the way they are, if you had to pick a couple keys for Auburn to be in that race and potentially win the conference in the regular season, um, anything you're looking at there that you'll be kind of watching as, this, as the conference play starts? Uh, you know, obviously seeing how fast Alan Flanagan, Alan Flanagan can get back into things is going to be big for them. Uh, he hasn't been needed for Auburn to be a top 15 team so far, but if they really want to win the conference and beat, you know, against Kentucky and Tennessee, I think he's going to be a big deal in that. Uh, you just, if you can get him back to a hundred percent plan, like he was last year, it's probably your second best player, maybe kind of thing. And that would be a huge boost to Auburn. Uh, seeing if you can keep the the guard play against the bigger physical SEC teams is going to be big as well. Uh, as long as, you know, Wendell Green and Zeb Jasper can do that. And they've both done it in spurts, but they've both never had to do it for a full season. And that's going to be, they're both smaller and, you know. Doesn't it feel like Jabari has like, you know, he's only 12 games in and he's already been so impressive. But I, to me, it just feels like there's another level or two there with his like, he wants to be playing on this team. I think everybody's raved about his mindset and as a one and done mm-hmm. guy. Um, do you think, I think there's like a level or two for him by the, after going through 18 conference games, as you get towards March, where he could really, you know, he, he might be the key to getting some of those championships like Auburn wants this year. Yeah, for sure. And I think he's just such a consistent, it's almost like I don't even talk about him sometimes just because yeah. of how good he is and how businesslike he is, you know, he's going to come out there and do his job. And I've just been such a big fan of him, you know, part of that mindset. He hasn't had to dominate the spotlight or anything. He doesn't care. He does, you know, he might be playing UConn with all the scouts watching him, but he's going to pass up the rock. If he's not shooting well, he's going to, you know, he's just that kind of guy. If he's feeling it, he's, he can score on you in isolation, but if he's struggling, he's not going to be someone who's pulling your team down or anything like that either. Just such a great player. Um, such a smart guy, efficient. And, uh, yeah, I think that if, I think once you get into these games, like the UConn game and Jabari didn't play too well in that one, but you start to get in these, uh, back and forth games against other top 10 teams that he's the type of player who can, dominate a game like that just as easily as he dominates a game like UL Monroe. You know, there's going to be no – Kentucky isn't going to have somebody who can just shut Jabari Smith down. Tennessee, you know, all these teams he can go for 30 points and 10 rebounds against if he is feeling it and he has to kind of thing. And that's something I'm definitely interested to watch just for the pure entertainment aspect, if nothing else. Yeah, no, he he's he's great. I, I think – the announcer last night said something awesome. Like it's great to have a run stopper like that. Like when you get, when you, there's an eight Oh run against you by the other team and they're playing really well and things aren't going your way. Uh, we talked last night on our episode about, you know, him at six ten elevating from three or mid range there. Like you said, there's not a, a deep, it doesn't mean it's always a great shot by our metrics of it's, it's covered. There's a hand in his face, but for him, <laughs> it's a pretty good shot anytime he wants it. Yep. And that's a great like Trump card to have. 
I think uh, a good example of that was that shot he took last night as well. It was his first make of the night when uh, he came off like a little pick and pop type action with Wendell Green or Zep Jasper. I can't remember. I think it was Zep and uh, Jabari got the ball like right at the top of the three point line and did like the dribble step in and move that he does to where he gets the defender to just take one step back. And that's all the all the room he needs pulls up for that. You know, six inches more would have been a three pointer that absolute end of the mid range and drills it. And that shot is just like, it's almost, I don't know, like offensive at, to the point where he's not taking the three and he's like in the mid range and there's just no way to defend him because he can blow right by you. If you don't take that step back to make sure he doesn't. And it, It's so fun to hear these announcers, even who watch these games like night in and night out, because he'll do something and they just like audibly react because it's so different <laughs> and it's so special. Um, so he's a great player. I think he'll be, you know, he's obviously an all SEC preseason pick. Uh, who are some players around the league? You know, we're not until the conference play starts. We're not necessarily watching all these teams every night. We keep up with the scores and stuff. So, you know, you mentioned some of the guards at LSU. What are maybe yeah. some position groups or some players around the league that Auburn fans need to kind of pay attention to as this thing gets going? I think there's definitely some good bigs in the league this year, and that's something to pay attention to because it's one of Auburn's big strengths, and it'll be a big battle a bunch of nights. You look at Kentucky with Oscar Shibway, and uh, I don't remember how many rebounds he finished with last night. I don't have that in front of me, but he was out rebounding Western Kentucky, which has a 7-5 starting center throughout most of the night by himself, and that is insane. This dude can get literally 20 to 30 rebounds in a game, and uh, – that's been a big, you know, I've been talking about it a lot at on three that Auburn's rebounding has been something that you think would be this team's possibly best strength. And it has been one of their biggest weaknesses. Uh, they've really turned it around against Murray State last night. But uh, I think I'm interested to see if Oscar Shibway and, you know, maybe even Colin Castleton at Florida and uh, I believe Tulu Smith is still at Mississippi State, and he was the leading rebounder in the conference last year. So there's a bunch of guys that are really good rebounders in the SEC that Auburn's going to have to deal with. And then you got Jalen Williams and uh, Connor Vanover at Arkansas. You know, uh, even Alabama, they haven't been consistently great, but Betty Ako had a really good game against Gonzaga. They got Noah Gurley. You know, they got talent and size inside. So uh, just how well, if Auburn can fix that rebounding, I think the front court will be their biggest strength, but there are a lot of front court battles coming Auburn's way this year. Yeah. Jabari and Walker. So I, they have impressed me for their, you know, slender ish frame, how well they've stood up to attacks to, you know, to the basket, obviously Walker mm -hmm. you know, done leading the conference in blocks, doing a great job there, but you're, you're right. There's some physical, uh, some grown man basketball coming their way from some big guys yep. uh, throughout the year. So, well, tell us a little bit as we wrap up, you know, um, let people know what kind of stuff are you doing at on three. I'm a member. Um, I think you do a great job. Uh, the team there, you know, is really, I think making some waves um, in the Auburn beat, you know, kind of space right now. Um, so talk a little bit about what you do for them on a consistent basis. And then also, you know, plug your um, Twitter, Instagram, stuff like that. Yeah. Well, uh, you know, I really just do for them uh, like basketball analysis, Justin Hokinson covers the team like day to day wise. And then I kind of share my thoughts on everything. So I'll do like a preview and a post game analysis on every game. And uh, I've been doing, you know, like a, a breakdown for new recruits and stuff like that. 
And we'll start to step that up as well once some of these recruiting classes get a little bit cleaned up. Right now, it's just like, oh, yeah, well, I could spend like six hours breaking down this targets game, but we have no idea where any of these guys are going. They're all flipping left and right kind of thing. Um, but uh, they, uh, yeah, we're going to do that. And then we're going to so step that up a little bit, be breaking down, you know, Chance Westry and Trey Donaldson's senior seasons a little bit and just trying to provide a little bit of uh, extra analysis for everything going on in Auburn hoops. And you can find me on Twitter and that's at a U B a W N and then Instagram. I'm at the Bruce blog and you know, I'm always around always talking Auburn hoops. Well, we appreciate that. We, uh, you know, we think there's a big need in that space as part of the, I mean, we do this after we talk after every game anyway. So we're like, why not just throw it up as a podcast? That's kind of how this started. And I'm glad people like you, um, and, and certain sites are seeing how hungry the Auburn fan base is for this. And I, it's just really neat for, for both of us as alums to kind of see how that's progressing. So thanks for what you're doing to help beef that up. Jackson, you got any other comments or questions or anything? Yeah, I follow the Bruce blog. I followed the Bruce blog for uh, a while now on my personal account before we even started the jungle. So good, good job on yep. that stuff. And uh, yeah, I remember we've had quite a few conversations. Yeah, I'm glad you're on, man. I had no idea we had the Bruce blog on. So follow Bruce blog on Instagram and us on the Instagram if you want some good basketball content. I had one last one now that I know you cover recruiting more. Me and Matt talked about this a little bit is that uh, there's almost a concept now with the transfer rules, NIL and everything. Like you can cover high school basketball, and that was the only thing to do. High school, maybe a Juco or something like that. We watched Mm -hmm. a point guard in St. Louis last week just go off. And you kind of wonder yourself when you see a point guard that good at St. Louis who's going to take them as a transfer next year. It's almost, it's kind of sad, right? That you almost have to think Mm -hmm. about that during a game. Are you guys already starting to cover that kind of thing? Do you see coaches already start thinking like, man, screw getting these high school kids. We can go get (laughs) Yuri Collins at St. Louis next year. Like, how does that even like, is that evolving? Are you covering that? Or are coaches even doing that? I mean, I'm sure that, you know, every year you hear about certain teams who, you know, they're not tampering with these kids while they're still going to school. But I always think of Florida when they got Kerry Blackshear Jr. Everybody knew that was going to happen like six months before it happened while the guy was still playing at Virginia Tech. It was like, oh, well, next year's Florida team, it's only missing a big man. And then you got this kid from Gainesville playing at, you know, Virginia Tech. He's not really a pro prospect, but he's a great high college player, you know, just a perfect fit for Mike White. And who knows what Florida did if they were talking, but it was like, Florida fans were talking about this and then they got the guy. So I'm sure that that's going to be way more prevalent now that the transfer portal is the way it is. Um, Auburn fans joked about it when Wesley Cardet chose Samford over like Auburn and Alabama that, Hey, this is a guy who's just going to go play somewhere else and then come to Auburn next year or whatever. And uh, I think we were joking about it on Twitter when Auburn was playing in South Florida, they have Caleb Murphy, who's like one of the big name Atlanta guys recently. And uh, he's, you know, friends with a bunch of guys that Auburn has on their team Georgia Tech as well and it was like Auburn's playing at South Florida is this going to be Caleb Murphy's tryout or something like that and you know people were joking around with it on Twitter just because that's how it is now but uh I think I don't think that it's going to hurt high school recruiting or anything like that but I think when you see uh one one recruit who got a lot of questions on Auburn was London Johnson who seemed like he was coming to Auburn for a couple of weeks and then out of nowhere it was like oh this kid's even going to reclassify and come to Auburn and then it's like nope Auburn's not even on his list anymore and so I do wonder if you know there was something there that 
the two sides didn't agree or whatever. And Auburn was just like, we're not going to put in max amount of effort into getting these top 50 high school kids anymore when we can go get someone like Yuri Collins, who's going to be everything that he was and probably produce a little more in year one on top of that. But uh, I, I think it's a bigger safety net, but I don't think it's going to change all that much except for backup options. You wonder if the messaging's changing at all to some high school recruits. Like you saw Cardwell got taken on his team, but there was all this talk beforehand. Is he going to come on as a walk-on? Can we take him? We clearly mm-hmm. want him. You wonder if there's any messaging that's going to go out to some of these guys that are borderline with us and saying, hey, go play at South Alabama for a year. Like, hey, we yep. really want you. We don't have a spot this year. I think you could really use, like, if you end up going to UAB or you end up going somewhere else, I'm friends even with the coach at Troy or wherever. You go play under him for a year, I guarantee by next year a spot opens up and you're on this. I wonder if that messaging is a thing or if that's still, like, a rude, like, that's going to disrespect some high three-star or something, you know? (laughs) I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if it does. It's a better route than JUCO in a lot of the way, you know, if you can – if your grades are good to go, why not go play at South Alabama instead of, you know, Chipola kind of thing. And maybe you're so good at South Alabama that you don't even need to transfer to Auburn if you're really that confident in your game and you're gone after a year. Um, It's not something we're really seeing now, but John Moran at Murray State only was there a couple of years. And, um, you know, there's been other guys in the mid-major ranks who haven't taken maybe, you know, we'll see. Yeah. Well, Jay, thanks for coming on. This was great. Uh, hopefully we can have you on again sometime later in the season or something. And uh, War yeah, Eagle. definitely. War Eagle, guys. Thanks, y'all. Thank you all for having me on. Yeah, we got another guest on uh, here. We're uh, doing a cavalcade of SEC preview guests. Uh, we're happy to have on Michael Floyd. He's the VP of the Auburn Jungle Student Section. Uh, welcome to the podcast, Michael. Well, I am so excited, so honored you all have asked me to join your podcast. I consider it a blessing and a privilege to always talk about a school that I love so, so much, so very much. Great, yeah. So I have a couple questions for you I wanted to ask, uh, just to start off. Like, what's your history with Auburn sports, with Auburn basketball, especially in particular, and how did you get uh, involved with the student section organization? Um, well, in, in order for me to answer that question, I got to start way from the very beginning. And just like growing up as an Auburn fan, that's all I knew, you know. Um, unfortunately, my dad did not see the light like I did. So he is an Alabama fan. So he's still in the darkness. Uh, but my mother, my mother got a hold of me early. So I'm very grateful, very grateful for that. Um, so and, and growing up and watching Auburn on TV, whether it was football, basketball, softball, baseball, whatever it was, always watching it and being energetic from my living room or my uh, bedroom, just watching the game, exerting myself like I was there in real life, you know, cheering them on. But instead, I'm just sitting at a monitor in my room. Um, and then, you know, I get accepted into Auburn. Uh, one of the a dream that I thought that could never be uh, – that could never happen that became true. Got accepted into Auburn. And then, you know, my freshman year, you had uh, – uh, now uh, transfer quarterback, Bo Nix, um, you had him beating Oregon in in, in Texas. And then you had uh, the Iron Bowl, and we rushed to feel like, oh, my goodness. And let alone, that was the year after the 2019 Final Four run. So um, how I got started into with Auburn basketball, um, you're going to think I'm crazy, and rightfully so. 
it took lining up at like three in the morning on a Saturday morning for an 11 a.m. tip off. And, you know, being in that line so early, getting to meet so many great people who had the crazy tendency to get up at three in the morning just to line up for a game, whether it was raining, hot, or blistering cold outside, we did that. Uh, and then, you know, that just, that just trickled into me being involved. Uh, obviously, my freshman year, which seemed so long ago due to the COVID-19 pandemic, our freshman year, you know, we had uh, the first ever time college game day had ever came to Auburn Arena. I was a part of that. And, you know, being a part of that to um, beating LSU at home my freshman year, to beating Kentucky and Alabama at home my freshman year, uh, you know, it, it was a lot of excitement around the program. Uh, obviously, um, 20, 2020, which would be my sophomore year, um, we were kind of disappointed in the way basketball season turned out because not the way the team played, but the way, you know, the ticketing system was done through the university. It was like a lottery. So, um, so I went from my freshman year going to almost every home game to my sophomore year attending only four home games. And I'm like, wow. And I'm like, so, you know, it, it was very different. There wasn't a jungle technically. Uh, so, you know, that happened. And then here we are my junior year. I was very honored uh, when I was asked if I would serve as the vice president of the jungle. Um, and now here we are today getting ready to take on uh, undefeated LSU team in the jungle. Yeah, that man, that's that's great to hear. I really feel bad for uh, you know every once of a, every one of us is looking at our lives during this pandemic and kind of like, woe is me. Like I'm missing out on this and that. I'm missing on some Christmas stuff right now. I've missed out on different things in my life. You know, we feel really bad for the high school kids and the college kids. Right. Very, you know, I can do a lot of my adult stuff through my adult life. You have four or five years there to be in that student section and enjoy this. You hit like same with high school kids with their proms and stuff. You know, we look back and wonder how important that stuff really is, but you have one chance to do these things. I really feel bad that, you know, you got just a great run till 19, way better than anything me and Matt ever experienced. The idea of waiting <laughs> at 3 a.m. We were in the Barbie era. So waiting, we just pulled up to the parking lot. I, I went to Auburn basketball games after the tip off and just walked right in at times. So the fact that you had to get up early is a testament to what Bruce has done. Uh, another question I had for you here. Uh, so the jungle is getting a lot of attention. We love it. We love the setup where it's on camera. Uh, all, it's so great to hear all the announcers talk about uh, how intense the jungle is. Yesterday, Will Wade was on a thing and said how it's the biggest, baddest environment in uh, SEC right now. So what, what I'd ask is, so we already know it's great. If you're the VP and you had something that you wanted to take this student section to the next level, something you want to tell the fans out there, even the alums or other students, what would you like suggest is the next way to make another tier? Another kind of cheer you like, another kind of, you know, how do we take this to another level? Well, I first want to I'll start off by saying, Will Wade, please be ready because we're coming. We're coming <laughs> loud. We're coming proud. So please be ready, Mr. Coach Will Wade. We're coming. We're coming. Um, but, you know, it, if I can, you know, that's also a tough question. Uh, and, I, and I love this podcast already because y'all answer. I mean, y'all ask the tough questions and I have to give the hard answers. <laughs> I love that. Um, but I will say this, you know, now it's to the point to where it's not what the students can do, but it's what the fans can do now. 
Um, that's what'll make the jungle or an Auburn arena even more hostile, hostile than it already is. You know, um, obviously, you know, SEC play will start in next week um, against LSU. So hopefully that will be the true first sellout uh, in, in Auburn Arena this year. But even when I was on campus before the, the holiday break or Christmas break, um, you know, it, it, will, it will be classified as a sellout, but there will be empty seats, empty seats. And I was watching against Murray State. It was a pretty decent crowd but you can still spot an empty seat here and there. And I, I, I don't know what to contribute to that. I just don't know if people are just sitting on their tickets or if they're just not coming or whatever the case may be. But <clears throat> the advice I want to give is to, if you can't make it to an Army basketball game, instead of, you know, probably skyrocketing your price for resale, give them to an Auburn fan that you know so they can take your seat, so they can contribute to the noise factor inside Auburn Arena. And if we can get the adults to not act their age, like Bruce Pearl said in his press conference against Mur- before Murray State, if we can get adults to not act their age during every single Auburn home basketball game, Auburn Arena will be more hostile than Jordan-Hare, Rupp Arena, and Coleman Coliseum put together. And and, and that's just the truth. Uh, and they say, whoa, whoa, Jordan-Hare, you might want to pump the brakes. But I've always said this, the Auburn Arena atmosphere to me is almost like 10 times better than the Jaron Hare atmosphere. And I saw what's first to feel against Alabama. I really did. Um, you know, now it might not match Jaron Hare during the kick six, but post kick six, I will put Auburn Arena up there. I will put Auburn Arena up there. But, but you know, but if, if you're looking at environments, <laughs> if you're looking at environments around the SEC at this point, uh, you know, we feel like Auburn Arena is the jungle is the number one place to be oh, here. Yeah. You mentioned Coleman Coliseum and Rupp Arena, but really Rupp Arena doesn't get that. They're they're large and have a lot of alumni there, but you don't hear right. it's that really intensive an atmosphere. So if you're looking like comparing Auburn and Jordan Hare, is everyone knows like top five in the SEC atmosphere, but it moves around with Death Valley and different places. Auburn right. Arena, the jungle, I think we're scare, squarely at number one. So I think you got a good point there that it, if you're doing it by that metric, the jungle is really peaked. Oh, yes. And, and, you know, it also it speaks to what Coach Bruce Pearl has done Um, to take you back to the year Coach Pearl was hired. You know, he told us to to buy our tickets, buy our tickets early. And now the wait list to get season tickets for Auburn basketball is three plus years out, if not two plus years out. So, um, wow. Like, Wow. People say, well, 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 we need to add more. We need to build a bigger arena. No, we don't need to build a bigger arena because I love it the way it is. Um, but, you know, it just, it's just, it just speaks to a true testament to what Coach Pearl has done at Auburn. And if the fans cannot act their age for every home game, by gosh, we would be just a real force to reckon with. Michael, I just want to point out um... – I was there from 2007 to 2012, and we had the same problem. We the the, the, it, the student section wasn't packed, but there were probably a few hundred of us who really cared. You know, it, it wasn't on the level that it is now, and it was right. even the, the years that ended up being pretty good. We still had that same problem with the alumni, and I think um, now being on the other side, like I see a little bit of that. I think there's you, you're just not in that place to just go crazy all the time when you go, but it's contagious, and I think. 
if you get a few people in every section to kind of buy into that, I really think there is a whole other level, like you said, that that this arena can go to. I wouldn't change a thing. I think it's built perfectly. I think it lends itself to noise and that environment. I agree. And the, uh, you know, the alumni just have to be better. And it is getting better, slowly. Uh, but right. <laughs> get a lot better. So I just want to support that as a former uh, it wasn't called the jungle back then, but supported as. A- <laughs> <laughs> but I, I, I do want to add just to what um, what Matthew was saying. Um, in 2000, gosh, it seems like forever ago. But when Auburn clinched the SEC regular season uh, title, I happened to be in a game against South Carolina. I think I was like 2017, 18, or 18, 19, somewhere yeah. like that. Um, when Auburn clinched the SEC regular season title against South Carolina. Um, you know, they had confetti fall from the rafters because they were celebrating the monument, the, uh, that big old monumental occasion. Um, but I'm y'all, my freshman year, which was probably almost three to four years or at least two plus, three plus years after I got there, um, when it gets loud in that arena, the arena shakes and confetti still falls from the rafters. That's great. That's the kind of stuff we had you on for, Michael. That that will be. Uh, I think that's going to be the reference we'll start using is uh, when the I crowd gets y'all. wild. Look out for the confetti. You know. Yes, it it it, it falls, and you you're looking at it. You're like, where's confetti coming from? Oh my goodness, that's the same confetti that's stuck up there, and the, so it, it it shows that one, there's still confetti in the rafters that they have not cleaned up, and two, that <laughs> when the building shakes. You know, the building shakes. That's how crazy it gets in there. So, well, and, um, and what a great metaphor for what Bruce has built, too, that we had that right. first SEC with the confetti. And when we have that atmosphere rocking and these teams playing great, there's still this, like, like, right. that's this, like the team that started it. You still see the elements of the team that started it all with the right. confetti. You might you like a little blessing. The Angels or the Auburn Angels are watching. Right. Down on you. <laughs> right. That's great. I love to hear that. Uh, part of the uh, reason we wanted you on too is to kind of get you know me and Matt are probably what seven eight nine ten years out even from being students I live in New York Matt lives in Nashville we just don't get to see that everyday atmosphere with Auburn basketball and I'm just curious now as a student how hard it is to get tickets and kind of like what on game day you know like I said when I was there you could pull up to the parking lot park walk in five minutes after tip and it wasn't even a big deal you know now you're talking about how you waited for a game at 3 a.m like what's it like on the game day when people are getting excited what's it like I see Bruce talking outside of the student section like yelling at the crowd like give us a little like sense of what it's like on a game day and you know and, and you're right and, and and I'm going to say this because it's something I love about Auburn that some schools within the SEC do this, and I'm glad Auburn does not. That's what makes the jungle uh, or, or one of a kind. Auburn basketball is not a ticketed sport. Um, I'm pretty sure it's always been like that. But the fact that now since basketball is becoming a hot commodity within, within the student body and it's still not a ticketed sport, it, it, it just really adds another element of people, wow, you know, you have to line up early because you don't have a ticket, you know. Uh, the student station only sits 2,100, and once that 2,100 is filled, they send students up to the standing room only. And when the Kentuckys and the Alabamas and the, and the uh, Arkansas come to town and Tennessee come to town, you know, standing room is sold out. So the students can't 
and have nowhere to go. So they have to be turned away, unfortunately. But um, what it is about the jungle, you know, uh, you said about parking. Um, unless you park a half a mile away, you will not be parking in the arena lot. I can tell you that. Because <laughs> the arena lot is now reserved. Um, it's now reserved parking. But you could park in the Coliseum lot and or the Village lot. Um, but, you know, uh, getting in line, you, you create friendships. I created friends who have graduated. Some are still at Auburn that I still talk to almost every other day. So that, that's an opportunity that um, I'm grateful for, for lining up early. Um, my freshman year, and, I, and, I, and even though I'm a junior now, and I'm talking about my freshman year, that's because that's the last time we had a full active jungle was my freshman year. Uh, but my, I remember my freshman year, all the day, um, the Friday, Auburn had a game the Friday before the football team hosted Georgia. Um, obviously, the football team did fall short by a touchdown in that game. But the Friday before that, Auburn had a game. And Coach Malzahn came in the student section. He had three Domino's pizzas for the students. Um, that was one experience my freshman year. Bruce Pearl coming out with Dunkin' Donuts and bagels. Uh, and then Jack's Biscuits. I mean, you know, Bruce fed us a lot of good food on a Saturday morning especially for a bunch of college students up at 3 a.m. on a Saturday morning. You know, who knows what they did on a Friday night, but they got up early to line up for a basketball game. Um, and then also going into the jungle, you have people, when the, when the doors open, you have people rush down the stairs to get their seats because it's first come, first serve. You might sit close to the court this game, but you might sit up on – higher up or not even the same area as you did for the second game. That's how a hot commodity basketball is becoming. Um, and then now you see uh, you see it trending. Uh, unfortunately, you see it trending when we lose a football game or something, but we're a basketball school. And, you know, Bruce Pearl has taken that in. We are a basketball school. And now we, we've involved it into an everything because we are an everything school. Um, football might have a down year sometimes. Uh, but, you know, all sports at Auburn, they succeed and go above and, above and beyond. Um, so uh, the jungle is just something that students um, can really just uh, embrace. You know, if you want a midday study break or, or weekend plans, you can go to an Auburn basketball game. Um, and then when you have the players that we have, you know, it makes it extremely fun to watch. Um, when you have a potential, I don't care what the board says, Jabari should be the number one pick in the draft. I mean, it's just unquestionable. I mean, uh, just totally unquestionable. Um, but when you have a Jabari Smith, you know, and all those other players, you know, you want to go support those guys. You really do. It's great to hear the passion here. I, I love hearing uh, the fans' perspective here. You know, that meets me, Matt, who's fans' perspective, but it's even more great to hear a student so passionate about Auburn basketball. And you're talking about the players, which is a great uh, lead way into my next question. You know, Cardwell is huge on social media, on the court. People love the passion. Uh, like people love these players. When we were in school, I was a freshman. Uh, the year Cam Newton was there. He was my next door neighbor actually in an apartment complex, but people went nuts. He was a celebrity on campus. Like people were trying to do anything they could to touch his doorknob or take a picture. Like What's it like on campus right now with these guys? Is Cardwell the most popular guy on campus of any sport? Is the basketball team eclipse the football team? Like, what's it like for these guys? The fact that you were next door neighbors to Cam Newton, I, I'm just extremely jealous right now. And even though 
when Cam Newton, when you was in college, I was still in elementary school. But oh my goodness, that's awesome. <laughs> that is really awesome. Now that's something I will brag about at my job. You know, I don't know who your college roommate was or your next year name was, but mine was Cam Newton. And he won a Heisman Trophy and a championship. You, you saw know. how quickly you saw how quickly he worked that into his question, right? Yeah. <laughs> still doing that ten years later, so yeah, that doesn't change. <laughs> That's uh, you know, at, when you turn eighty and ninety one hundred, I remember when I was next door neighbors with Cam Newton. He might not remember me, but I remember him. You know, that's how it goes. That's how it goes. I love it, Jackson. I love it. Who, who, so, um, like, what, what are these guys like on campus? Are these like big time celebrities now? You know, another weird connection I have was a old player named Rob Chubb, and he sat next to me in geography class, but no one cared. You know, he was the great white <laughs> hope at one point when he was uh, on there. But if Walker Kessler sat next to me in geography class, now it'd be the biggest stir ever. I'd have friends like saying, "Let me sit in for geography class for you and take your homework." You know. <laughs> Uh, I I will say this. Um, I think now we're getting to the point in age where um, on a normal day, there's students. There are students who have to walk in that big, tall, crazy building we call the Haley Center. There, uh, there are students that have to walk inside the student center um, and go to class in Titchener or in Foy or wherever they have to go. Uh, you know, you might have a fan boy or a fan girl every once in a while who might just go crazy, like, oh, my God, Jabari Smith is in my class. Like, oh, no way, you know. But I, and, and obviously, when game days come, you know, when, you know, they're playing, you know, perhaps one of the uh, number two team in the country or a ranked opponent, you know, you know, they're the big stuff. They're, they're the man. They're the men on campus. They're the women on campus that, you know, are about to get ready to take down this Goliath, you know. Um, but I, and to your question about Dylan Carl, I just, I just love that, that dude. That dude was made for the jungle and the jungle was made for him. Um, I, I think Dylan, I think Dylan Cartwell's fandom or stardom or road to fame took off um, when he went shirtless in during hair this year. Um, <laughs> just an unbelievable moment. Um, you know, if, if you know he, cl- clearly Bruce Pearl's uh, rubbing off on him. You know, he, oh yes, he, their personalities fit very well. You, oh, you hope that well. you hope that we look back one day and, and maybe Cardwell goes off and plays an NBA and has an amazing career and things. But you also hope that maybe one day he's the kind of guy that you could come back and have him as a coach one day. You know, the kind of guy right. that sticks around Auburn and really embraces it. You see it all the time, almost to a fault. How much we hire former players exactly. and everything. So. You love when a kid embraces it. Uh, I'm sure you feel this way, Michael, and I'm, I know Matt feels this way, that if we were on campus, that's the kind of way we would want to embrace it. Oh, uh, yeah, you know. a- absolutely. An- but, you know, question. Dylan Cartwell – oh, no, oh, no. Or, or you, well, I just want to say this. But I would say, yes, Dylan Cartwell is uh, is very – you know, he, he's very interactive. He's very engaging. Um, and, you know, um, he's not he, – he's the type of person – that feeds off the energy of the crowd. And that goes back to one of the original questions you asked, which you were saying, you know, what could take the jungle to the next level, you know, if the adults or the alumni would not act their age and, you know, act like they're in the jungle, you know, they're in their uh, cushioned seats and whatnot. Um, man, that place would be electric. The players will love it. And, you know, but yeah, but Dylan Cartwell is a great player. 
And I'm glad he's wearing the orange and the blue. Y'all, y'all hear us old. If you're over 40 listening to this podcast, that not that me and Matt won't be over 40 before too long one day, but uh, yeah, we're calling you out. You got to get electric. Don't worry about whoever's caught. Like there's always going to be a, uh, a Scrooge in your section or a Grinch or whatever. That's going to be annoying. But if that's everybody right. else is going nuts, you can go nuts. Don't like you have full social and like peer pressure to get nuts out there. The uh, another one, another one I have happened. a prediction. I have a prediction. I do think this team has kind of captured people's attention. And if you look historically oh, yeah. at Auburn basketball, the crowd will be there if the t- if it's kind of that moment. Like I remember growing up as a kid, the 1999 2000 team that was a number one seed um, nationally. I mean, they, they were number one in the country at one point. Um, Beard Eves was nuts. And it wasn't just the students when it got to that point. So I'm optimistic, at least, that there will be, I think, starting out with this huge LSU game, like you mentioned, Michael, like, I think, I I hope and kind of expect that there's going to be, it's going to go to a different level as we get to the SEC play. Sorry, Jackson, go ahead. Yeah, I I just, you know, I was going to ask, too, you know, you got these big games coming up, we got LSU coming up, it's going to be the biggest game we've played so far this year. What, what game, you know, me and Matt have our own thoughts and alums have their own thoughts and people from all over watching to get their own thoughts on what teams we want to beat the worst and where we are in the SEC play. As a, a fan, as the students, what does it feel like is the game that's circled? Is there a certain game that every student's talking about? That weekend when this team comes to town, everyone, my friends are going to come, we're going to have parties. Like, what is the game this year that's really circled on everyone's calendar? I want to tell you this, there are probably a bunch of games uh, that are probably circling on everybody's talent. You, know, you do have some big games um, in Auburn Arena this year, but one that really just sticks out um, that we'll probably talk about now is because of the way their basketball program is going has to be the Alabama Crimson Tide. You know, um, on, on that same dreaded day that they beat Georgia in the NC Championship that night, their basketball team beat Gonzaga or Gonzaga, however in the world you want to say it, that team up there in Washington State. But they beat them. And to myself, I'm like, oh, my goodness, when Auburn plays Alabama, this is going to be one of the greatest meetings in the in the whole series, you know, because you have NBA talent versus potential NBA talent. And you have, you know, a young upcoming Nate Oates and a, and a Bruce Pearl. Uh, you know, so that is one that'll be that'll have really Auburn Arena, you know, in a frenzy, but shame on the SEC. And I'll repeat this shame on the SEC for scheduling that game on a Tuesday night at eight o'clock. I don't know what you were thinking. I don't know what you were thinking, but to schedule that game on a Tuesday night at eight o'clock, that's that that's wrong. Absolutely wrong. Not only that should have been a Saturday game. Not only do they have that on <laughs> Not only do they have that Tuesday, which really sucks because you're still probably going to see a couple empty seats here and they feel they just can't make it, which will be super frustrating. But on top of that, for this LSU-Auburn game, a top 15, I think, maybe top 20 ranked matchup on ESPNU? Come on. They have like Missouri-Kentucky, I think, on ESPN2. And a couple others, like, how did we end up on ESPNU? Like, can you imagine in previous years, Matt, that we have a ranked matchup in Auburn and we can't even get it on like a regular cable package? It's crazy, but uh, that's good to hear. Fans are getting excited for the Alabama game. Oh, yeah. I hope that everybody – I'm sure it'll get hype on even on that Tuesday. It's crazy. I hate that Alabama's gotten where they've gotten, you know. 
Oh, yeah. And, you know, and, and I will say this, you know, I've pointed out the Alabama game. But, you know, in, in years past, you know, you know, Tennessee has become one of our biggest basketball rivals. Uh, you know, because, you know, we have Bruce Pearl and, you know, now they have Justin Powell. So, you know, that'll be a big one. But, unfortunately, that's in Rocky Top. I'll be going to that game. Tickets already secured. Uh, but, uh, Matthew, I hope to see you there at Rocky Top when we go. Well, I'm going. <laughs> that, that was that was part of what Matt – that's part of what Matt wanted me to ask you. I didn't have it on my list. But, uh, you know, people go to away football games, and me and Matt have done that. And you have a really great time at away football games because there's some sort of, like, almost like the 300 Spartans kind of atmosphere, like – Auburn always has an Auburn family. Like if you see another Auburn person out on the streets of a different city, you war eagle, you really feel like a real connection to that person. When you go to away games, you really feel like you do this cool, like merge with these Auburn fans. You're staying together in this little section at Texas A&M or wherever. So we kind of wanted to ask, like, are people starting, like, it was $200 to get into Auburn arena for a game. Are people going to Athens for a cheaper ticket to watch Auburn UGA? Are they going to Knoxville? Like what are your away plans? And do you hear a lot of students making those road trips? Jackson, you hit the hammer on the head or the nail on the head. That's how they say you hit the nail on the head, Jackson, right there. Because tickets are so out the like just out of pocket for a basketball game, all of the fans are traveling. You know, um, you know, I, I guess I'll give go ahead and you know break the news on here. We're, I'm, we're going to our the jungle social media team is about to break it uh, on social media in, in a couple minutes of us, you know, doing this podcast. But I guess I'll go ahead and give you an inside scoop. The, the Auburn Jungle is going to take over Colvin Coliseum on January the 11th. Um, we're encouraging students, we're encouraging fans to go on Stuff Hub, the official uh, secondary ticket location of the Auburn Tigers. We're encouraging uh, fans and alumni and students to go on there. And buy all, But if you have the means to try to make that trip, uh, please go. Um, because Auburn University doesn't resume classes to January the 12th which is the Wednesday after that Tuesday. So we're, we're encouraging students to go to Tuscaloosa, spend the whole day there. They might be having a NASA championship parade there that day. We don't know yet. Hopefully not. Um, but, you know, we're invading Coleman Coliseum. Um, and then also, if you look on Stump Up, you'll see cheap tickets for Ole Miss, cheap tickets for Georgia. And because it's so, uh, since Auburn is such a hot commodity, it is kind of more fun and cheaper to, you know, go on the road. And you and I think Rick Carroll did an interview with with Auburn Live of Arm Free Sports saying, you know, you know, he loves road environment. He loves road he loves road wins because, you know, he goes into sometimes hostile environments and take over. You know, he's he like he said, he's a he's a hater. He's just a hater. So um, just looking forward to that. Yeah, I, I'm not surprised that that um, that that would happen because that's what everybody's doing. I mean, I, that's what I'm doing. I live in Nashville. I'm, I'm planning to go to maybe Athens, maybe Knoxville. I want to come to Auburn too. Um, and I'm glad to hear that students are, and that you guys as an organization are encouraging that because those really are some of the best times, you know, you, you right. go in and you feel, I've always said Auburn, Auburn family. Sometimes we have our disagreements. We have our you know, opinions, but I'll put our road fans in football and, and now in basketball, obviously, like I'll put the people that travel on the road against anybody of any fan base. Right. Those, those exactly. people are fantastic. They're committed. They're in, you know, they make the trip, even if maybe the team isn't expected to win. Like I, I like right. those that, that crew. So I'm glad that's happening in basketball. You no, know, and, and I'm going to tell you this, Matthew, 
in a way, basketball ticket is not only cheaper than a home men's basketball ticket, but it's cheaper than a home football or away football ticket as well. Yep. So, it, you know, it, it's cheap fun, and this is cheap fun to go watch a potential top 10 team play. You know, that's very rare. You know, when Duke goes on the road, you know, home or away, their tickets are through the roof. That's <laughs> through the roof. Yeah. So, um, you know, so, so that's fun. But, um, you know, and you know, if they have the means, of all means necessary, if you have the funds, means, and the time, please go support the Tigers on the road. I, I lost power briefly, but that's why we have two co-hosts to uh, continue <laughs> the podcast there. I'm back. Uh, I'm glad you all continued that while I was gone. Uh, my last one here, uh, which has been a pleasure talking to you, man. This It's been great to hear the passion, and uh, we love to hear the student stuff. We, we heard you talk to the women's basketball team recently. Like, how did that come about? And just, you know, you've gotten so involved with all the, the student section stuff and everything. Like, what's the been like? How did you get connected with the women's basketball team and different sports in general? Well, when I, um, uh, I, I'm a huge, uh, huge Gus Malzahn supporter. And I didn't say women's basketball. I want to say this because it's going to lead into my next segue. I'm a huge Gus Malzahn supporter. I really, appreciate him um, and he has this saying that use your influence in a positive way and when I became and when I was named and when I was uh, gifted title of the of the jungle vice president I, I wanted to make sure that I used my influence in a positive way um, women's basketball has not been in the forefront um, of Auburn athletics in recent years. And if you look at the his, uh, the past of Auburn women's basketball under Coach Joe Champy, you have numerous NCAA tournament appearances. You have three NCAA Final Four appearances. Um, I think you I think you have one of those Final Four became national championship appearances. So uh, SEC tournament championship victories uh, and appearances. So, you know, all women's basketball is a very storied program. And, you know, we've been lacking in the forefront of Auburn women's basketball. Uh, you know, when Neil Fortner was at Auburn, you know, and, you know, she retired saying, you know, she wanted to try something new. Then she turned around and goes to Georgia Tech, which makes me believe, but what was the problem, Neil? What was the problem? But this year, Auburn women's basketball went into Atlanta, Georgia, went to Nails Fortner's home court at Georgia Tech and beat her team. And they were ranked number 16 in the country at the time. A huge win for Coach Johnny Harris and, and, and company. Um, last year, this team think only won about five games and went winless in the SEC, and which led to the, um, the, the, part, the, the parting of ways between uh, Coach Illinois and Auburn and Alan Green made another splash higher in one year after hiring Brian Harson. He went and he got Johnny Harris from Texas. Johnny Harris is a um, well-known recruiter. She was at Texas A&M during their glory days, Mississippi State at their glory days. Rebuilt the Mississippi State program with Vic Schaefer, who is now the in the rebuilding process at Texas, um, and took Texas. And she helped Vic Schaefer take Texas to a Elite Eight, I think an Elite Eight appearance last year. So Coach John Harris is the right uh, woman to write the ship of Auburn women's basketball. Take us back to those stories days. So 
Um, and I, I was honored to speak. That was my actually that was my second time speaking. I got to speak to them during their fall camp, uh, which was practices. Then I got to do the pregame speech uh, against um, the University of North Florida when they played North Florida. Um, you know, and, and here's what I told them. I said, you know, um, what is your goal? I said, you know, basketball is like life. You set goals and you shoot for them. You, you, you aim and you shoot for them. I'm like, what, are your, what is your goal? What is your goal here for the women's basketball program? You know, what is your goal for this game? You know, is it more rebounds than the last game? Was it, is it more points than the last game? You know, what is your goal? Um, and, and the last thing I told him was, you know, um, play for your families, play for your teammates, play for your coaches. But most of all, play for that, play for that school that is etched in your jersey. And what's etched in your jersey is Auburn. Play for Auburn. The Auburn family is something that is so broad and so wide. And we say, you know, um, Auburn is a family. I think if people think it's just uh, just this yada, yada, cliche saying, it might be a saying to an Alabama or a Kentucky fan or a Tennessee fan or a Georgia fan, but for Auburn, the Auburn family is, is exactly what it is. It's a family that runs deep and runs wide, and wherever you are, there's the Auburn family. So um, women's basketball is, is, is on the way up. They signed the top 25 recruiting class for next year, um, and this is only John Hanson's first year, and she's already signed the top 25 recruiting class. Um, so that, that speaks volume of her and her staff. Um, and if I can tell the fans that listen to this great podcast something, while you're investing in men's basketball, also invest into women's basketball. If we give Johnny Harris the same support we gave Bruce Pearl, oh my goodness, imagine the year Auburn can have two teams in the Sweet 16, in the Elite Eight, or the Final Four, all at the same time. What a wonderful time that'll be at Auburn. Uh, but women's basketball, you know, it's an uphill battle. It's an uphill. I'm not going to say it's not an uphill battle. It's going to uphill battle. They have SEC play coming up. Matter of fact, they play Kentucky in Auburn Arena the day after Auburn hosts LSU. So if you're still in town, tickets. Now, I will say this, and I'm not trying to downgrade the program. Tickets are relatively on the cheap side now. That is cheap fun right now. But it's cheap fun while, go, while supporting the Tigers of the Auburn women's basketball program. So um, um, women's basketball is on the rise, and I'm glad to have Coach Johnny Harris wearing the orange and blue as well. And it's great to have you on. It's really great to hear the students still embracing the Auburn family. Yeah, I think you actually you feel it while you're there amongst all the Auburn people. When you leave, you feel it even more, I think, when you move to a different oh, yeah. city and you embrace the alumni organizations and you run into different Auburn people. There's something about, you know, you talked about the family. Some other schools call it nations, Tennessee nation or Bama nation or different things like that. And that's what the difference really feels like. They kind of treat it as like a conquering kind of like, yeah, sure, we're in the same like district or whatever, you know, but right. at Auburn, you really feel, and maybe it's like a kind of thing of being a the, the other school in the state and just feeling like uh, most people that are Auburn fans, like 90% of people that are Auburn fans have some sort of real connection to Auburn. They went there, oh, yeah. parents went there or something that really creates a real strong connection that other people don't have. When I see an Auburn hat on the street, I can go ahead and assume they also went to Auburn and they probably know somebody I know. And it's a real like connection. I'm sure Alabama fans see an Alabama hat in the street and you got to just wonder, do I even talk to this guy? <laughs> like he's just probably ah, exactly. up the hat at a gas station, <laughs> you know, like, do I even want to engage in this situation? You know, I, I, there's almost never 
in my whole fandom have I ever been like ashamed of another Auburn fan at some situation. I have to think a lot of fan base have to deal with a huge portion of their fan base just being embarrassing and not the kind of people you want to deal with. It's just not the same. Right. Yeah, I was, I was going to give Matt like one opportunity here if you had any good questions for him or anything. I don't have a question. Uh, I just want to say, you know, make sure you relay to current students in the jungle that um, there's a whole multiple generations of people who you know, love what y'all are doing and enjoy watching it every night. And just to keep up that energy, um, we're kind of jealous a little bit, but we're kind of living vicariously <laughs> through you guys. And uh, just make every make every game count. And uh, hope you guys will give uh, every team that walks into that arena uh, a hard time uh, for the rest of this SEC season. Well, Michael, we might have to have you back on at some point and get a uh, get that fan oh, perspective. Yes. We'll have to get a. Uh, Maybe after we'll, we'll talk more about it, but maybe after one of these big games, we can get a phone call in or something to uh, get the live reaction from the actual jungle to talk to the Auburn Jungle podcast. Yeah. You know? Oh, yes. And, you know, thank you all so much. The Auburn Jungle podcast is in the name. It's in the name. And I love it. I love it. I love it. Well, once, God, once again, guys, thank you all so much for, um, for really having me on and, uh, whenever this podcast is published, I do want to wish every person of the Auburn family a, a wonderful Merry Christmas and a very blessed and prosperous New Year. Um, I'm the, the 2020-2022 is the year of the Auburn Tigers. Mark my words. Mark my words. 2022 is the year of the Auburn Tigers, and we're going to see it, and it starts right here with Auburn men's basketball. War Eagle, guys, and thank you all for having me on. War Eagle, Michael. War Eagle, Michael. Thank you. All right. Well, I hope you enjoyed those two interviews we did. Uh, we're hoping to keep doing things like that throughout uh, the year. Anytime anybody wants to come on, let us know. Uh, we want to do a SEC preview. We've been hyping this up for a little bit now. Uh, we're excited to kind of just go through the storylines of each of these teams in the SEC. We, uh, we did a pretty deep dive during the Atlantis on some of these teams. We won't quite go as deep as that for these guys. But we, you know, part of this, we'll be Googling along with you at some time. So we're going to Google so you don't have to on some of this stuff. We also just want to get you a sense of like Auburn thoughts going into these different games and what to get excited for, what to worry about, uh, what players to watch that kind of come off the top of our heads. Uh, Matt's got the uh, preseason SEC men's basketball rankings up. This is what the media uh, thought would happen this year. And uh, we're going to kind of just go from top to bottom and like what our storylines are, what's going on with those teams. Uh, Matt, uh, you want to go uh, through them with us? Bottom to top, we're going to go, right? We're going to go worst to best um, in the media poll. And I just want to point out, you know, for people who maybe haven't, you know, aren't paying attention to basketball all the time. The cool thing about SEC basketball is you play every team at least once. There are some teams you play twice, home and away. Um, so you really, you play everybody, which if you're just a football fan, you know, uh, football schedules are annoying because you only play certain teams, you know, you play certain teams in your conference less than Clemson uh, over the last few years. Sorry, we're not supposed to talk about football. Um, but starting out at the bottom, picked last, uh, Georgia. Georgia was picked last in the preseason poll. Tom Crean, we were talking last night about how many coaches have uh, been to a Final Four. Tom Crean's one of them. Uh, Georgia, he just hasn't gotten good traction there, even with Anthony Edwards and stuff in the past, as a who's a you know, great player in the NBA now. Georgia's down there at the bottom. 
I believe they're uh, what is there? They're like five and seven this year so far. They've lost to um, ETSU last night. They've had some kind of rough losses. They did beat Memphis, which we approved of. They've um, lost to Cincinnati, Georgia Tech, Virginia, Northwestern, Wofford. Uh, they did beat <laughs> Memphis, but Memphis, as we've seen, has been not – they're not a good team. They're very poorly coached from Penny Hardaway over there, but they do have talent. Uh, they lost to George Mason. They lost to East Tennessee State. Uh, it's really – it's going to be right now looking like one of the worst all-time UGA teams, and that's saying something because they are not good historically. And, I, and I've got a couple narratives for the – you know, number one, well, we poached their uh, best player, KD Johnson – and, you know, he's playing an important role for us. He would have been the star of this Georgia team, most likely. And the other narrative for me, at least, is Bruce Pearl has just built his little Auburn empire around recruiting in Georgia. When um, you talk about getting the Jared Harford, Bryce Brown, even if they're not highly recruited, going into Georgia, getting those guys. And then it's big, uh, sorry, picked up with Isaac Okoro, Jabari Smith, um, Georgia being down is very good for Auburn basketball's health. And I think the narrative is, you know, Auburn plays Georgia twice. They always do every year. Um, can Auburn, you know, beat this team both times like it probably should? Yeah, uh, you know, there's all those transfers that went out of the program. I think we're in a uh, territory right now of, uh, like you said, it's huge for us that they, they stay down because we need that territory. We saw it in football, how – hard uh, not to talk about football too much but how hard it's been when Clemson and Georgia are up because that is where we recruit in the same basketball we recruit at Atlanta constantly like you were saying a big funny thing is we're in this territory now with a Tom Crean where you know he's not a good coach at Georgia it's just not working at all and so you want it to go badly this year but if it goes too badly they fire him and every time they make a new hire sadly you know in the past maybe with Georgia you didn't feel this way but now that the SEC is really investing money in basketball and you can tell they are always on the precipice with a talent for a talent standpoint they even got anthony edwards even when they're awful so if they can get that kind of guy when they're that awful you wonder what they can do when they actually get a good coach in there so you just worry like enjoy this year if he's if this is as bad as we think it's going to be with tom green at any moment they could fire him and go make a huge splash hire this uh, kind of guy that can take this like untapped talent into Georgia. We hope that they just keep the trend going. They've never been a great program. So we just hope that the trend continues. So we'll see, you know, this should be easy wins for us, but we lost the Anthony Edwards team, I think, uh, was it last year, the year before? So it, it can happen, but we've, we've owned them for the most part. Yeah. And you just got to hope that continues. Um, you know, I, I have not watched any Georgia basketball this year, I'll be honest. Uh, but it seems like the results aren't pointing the right direction. And if Auburn's going to be competing at the top of this league, like we'll talk about when we get there, you really got to take advantage and beat the teams that you're supposed to beat. Um, but Georgia, was it last last year or two years ago? They, um, they, they have played us well at times. I think Auburn's had a pretty dominant record in the last four or five years, maybe seven, three, eight, and two. Um, but, you know, it, the, the theme of this preview is going to be a lot of these teams are very dangerous. Um, and if you don't play up to your standard, um, you know, you can get beat. Yeah, true. And, and this would be a, ba a bad loss. You know, we're, there's going to be losses in the schedule against good teams. And you want at the end of the year to have two or three or four losses. And, it, and probably it might be one of those years where there's a winner with, you know, we've seen years where there's a winner of the league with two losses or one loss. It might be a four or five loss winner even. 
So we'll see about that. And if you lose it to a team like Georgia on a bad night, these are the kind of teams you have to, even if you have a bad night, you have to beat Georgia. If we yeah. lose to Georgia, no matter how bad our night is, it's not good. There's other teams on the schedule. We have a bad night and lose to them. It's forgivable. We learn. It's hard to beat Alabama at Alabama or Tennessee at Tennessee. It won't be uh, with Georgia. We'll be having a sad podcast after Georgia games if we lose to them. Yeah. Well, so let's move on. Uh, Vanderbilt picked 13th. Jerry Stackhouse still the coach. Uh, was it Scotty Pippen Jr., probably their star player. They are 7-4, uh, and four, I believe, right now. Auburn hosts them in mid-February, and that is it. Um, so they have to get a home game against Vanderbilt. Again, another one of these um, games you're really going to want to get, um, not to get too far into the net uh, metric stuff, but you don't want to lose at home to bad teams. That's one of the things that really can hurt your resume. So um, what, anything you want to – what are you thinking? When you think Vanderbilt basketball right now, they've really been bad compared to their history the last few years. What, what are your thoughts? Yeah, and my, and when I was growing up, Vanderbilt basketball was one of the stars of the SEC. I mean, they weren't great, but that was kind of like their shining thing was like, sure, they're awful football and some other sports, but their basketball team is pretty smart, and they kind of fit in with that, like, Duke, North Carolina, like, smart schools, good at basketball kind of thing, and they've just been terrible. You hate that uh, it, it's the one game I actually want Auburn to play away. I hate their court and everything, but Matt lives in Nashville. I used to live in Nashville, and I enjoyed going to those games when it was like, an opportunity to get the Nashville Auburn club uh, up there for a game. So when you see it's just a home game, you wish you could trade that out with another away game. We don't care about, I don't know if we play at Missouri or play at, uh, you know, one of these other teams, Texas A&M or something like that. You wish you could trade it out. So the Auburn fans could go enjoy it in Nashville, even if they have the weirdest court ever where people are, I don't know how people don't get hurt every time. <laughs> I think a big storyline with them is the Scotty Pippen jr. Thing. Uh, I, I don't know where I, I need to look up his stats, but I'm pretty sure he's one of the few people that's like playing as well as Jabari almost from a statistical standpoint. So it might be fun just to see the matchup. That might be one that even if we saw on the SEC network or whatever, he's going to get hyped up. You know, he got picked. Uh, you know, we had our little uh, SEC preview stuff here. He was picked as the SEC player of the year uh, preseason. I guess it's tough. I don't, it's, it's Scotty Pippins Jr. Is he, he's not a freshman, right? I want to say he's a sophomore. Right. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's tough to pick someone like Jabari that we just don't know. I mean, there's been plenty of five stars like Jabari that were supposed to be not can't miss and just did not play that well. So I think media and people are a little tentative to uh, pick a guy like Jabari to go all the way. I think when we look up the end of the year right now, if we had to like be betting people, I bet you that Oscar uh, should be way. I will have to figure out how to say that at some point. Jay did such a good job of saying that and uh, <laughs> maybe him or, or Scotty Pippen Jr. or Jabari. Uh, so we'll see who ends up doing that. Their losses right now, they're seven and four. They have some pretty bad losses. They lost to VCU 48 to 37, 48 to 37. That's a football score, people. Vanderbilt scored 37 points in a game. Uh, they also lost to SMU 84-72, Temple 72-68. They lost to that Loyola, Illinois, Chicago team that we played. Lost to them 69-58, so that's a good you know, not that it works out every time that you can say if you're if you beat a team, they beat a team, you know, but so that's good to see they lost a team that we already beat. So there's I don't think there's too much to worry about Vanderbilt. It's another one of those that if you lose, you're upset about it. It's gonna be a bad podcast. Right. Uh agreed. So Texas AM was picked 12th. Uh Buzz Williams uh has made a little bit of a splash there. Good coach, good resume. Again, like the theme in the SEC the last few years has been 
really experienced, good coaches coming into the league, including Bruce Pearl and many others. Um, you know, they're picked 12th, and Auburn plays them at home. Again, another team, they only play them once, play them at home. They beat AM. Did they break a big winning streak at home, I think, that Auburn had a few years ago? I just remember Auburn really laid an egg in one of those games where when AM had a couple of big guys. Um, yeah, I so, think they, yeah, I think that was the team that beat us at home. It was really frustrating that, like, it wasn't the kind of game we should have lost. It was an upset. And that, I think it was in that uh, year that we were peaking at just the right time. We just happened to drop that one. It, you know, it was yeah, very un um, – like it didn't fit our team's personality at all that we would drop a game like that, but they just had our number. So anything about them? I'm looking at their schedule now. They beat Butler. They won at Notre Dame. Um, and the thing with Buzz Williams' teams, you know, they lost to a close one to TCU. Um, they're going to play really hard. We're, this, this team and another team we'll talk about next, they are going to play you physically. They're, it's going to be a war when you go play them. And uh, no matter, I think he's building up the talent slowly there. Uh, maybe not there yet, but th that's not a fun team to play. And, and Buzz Williams, we looked it up last night, but now I'm blanking again. He was a Marquette coach, right? Marquette and then Virginia Indiana. Tech. Virginia Tech. Yeah. I don't know if he, they, I guess they poached him from Virginia Tech. I don't think he had, he had some decent years, I think, in the NCAA. So it's a big deal that they brought him over. Texas A&M, we always know, has all this stupid amount of money, more money than they, like, can figure out what to do with, but uh, they're spending it. So is everybody else in the SEC. It's another story, like you said, of an SEC team starting to embrace it. You hope that he doesn't turn the corner. They're not picked to do very well, but we're looking at a schedule. They've all had two losses. I mean, they're the two losses to, you know, lost to Wisconsin. They beat Notre Dame, who beat Kentucky. So that's decent. And, and at Notre Dame, too, which is a thing at Butler I think Butler's down this year but it's still you know Butler's a basketball team everybody else is pretty normal at Oregon State what a weird schedule <laughs> playing at Oregon State there and at Notre Dame and at Wisconsin what a what a that's kind of tough out there you know we were talking about playing at St. Louis and they played some at people so you know with that only two losses we might be needing to pay a little more attention to them maybe well and I think I think what you're going to see is you know maybe A&M and, and this next team but like once we get past this I mean any of these teams are decent I know I bang that drum all the time but I think this year more than any year maybe there's not Alabama I don't think is elite at this point I'm not convinced Auburn is elite Kentucky has talent but we'll see like but I think this it's going to be a war from team one to team 10 or 11 and A&M could easily be work their way up into that bubble territory. I mean, um, you know, they're, they're, they're going to, everybody's going to start to figure out what you actually have when you start playing these conference games. And, and like you said too, I think you mentioned that he went to a final four. This is another one. We I'd love to count at the end of this, uh, if we can, or find the statistic, how many final four coaches we have to play against. You know, we love the Bruce made the final four and we are like living off of that. And then you look up and so many teams are playing with the time at final four. We just had talked about three teams at the bottom tier of the sec and two of those coaches have been to final four. Tom Green's been to final four. And so has this guy, Buzz Williams at Texas A&M. And yeah. we're about to talk about the next team, South Carolina, another final four coach. They had a great run a couple of years back. Maybe it's starting to age for sure by now, six or seven years back where they just caught fire defensively, I believe. Uh, and that they have a certain kind of style. And if you're talking about Frank Martin teams, he had Bruce's number for a little bit there with how rough he plays. He's got like a style 
of just fouling the mess out of people and playing super rough and making the game really dirty and not fun to watch at all. It turns into a whistle fest every time. It's like, I think it's bad for basketball. <laughs> it's kind of like for watching Virginia, like Virginia, at least you can respect a little bit this old man's slow style of basketball. You can, I don't know if you can respect the South Carolina basketball. It's just so not fun to watch. It just sets us back, but that, that's what you need to watch out for. We've kind of breaking through. I feel like with South Carolina, there's a time where we like had that circle. And it was like, man, let's see if Bruce can break through on this rough basketball. We've broken through, but it's still something to watch if we get in trouble. You also remember, you know, that's where the Anthony McLemore injury happened uh, that really derailed that season. Um, you know, you're right. There's a lot of history there. Auburn's done better. I was at an SEC tournament game a couple years ago and Auburn took care of them pretty nicely. Um, they are not as talented. I'm glad you mentioned that. Sendarius Thornwell is a tremendous player for them, got him to the Final Four. Uh, again, three out of four coaches so far have, have made a Final Four. And you mentioned just to add on Bruce, you know, had never made it until, you know, this weren't run at Auburn. I think that's why it was so important, not just for our program, but, um, but for Bruce himself to prove that, Hey, he had done everything else in the sport except win a title and go to the final four, which in college basketball is kind of the thing. So uh, South Carolina, they have some decent wins. Um, they beat Georgetown. They beat Florida state. Uh, they have a couple of, they lost to Princeton. They lost by 24 to coastal Carolina lost by double digits to Clemson. Both of those were on the road. Uh, so, you know, again, a lot of these teams on the lower half of the league, you know, they may have decent records. They have some decent wins, but can they handle the the game-to-game grind that the SEC is going to be? And like you said, their style, it, unless something has changed, it's just very different. Um, I also wanted to point out, we, are, we play them twice, both home and away. So hopefully that's a good thing this year with our talent. Um, to be able to play them twice. And we are their first SEC game on uh, Tuesday, January 4th. And it's the second game. Is that right after LSU? I believe so. Yeah, I'll take that. Maybe not great for Flanagan to play such a rough game on the second game, but, you know, get us ready for the next couple games. Or to play South Carolina as our second game than a couple other teams. It's already not great that we're playing the LSU team that's probably leading that. Like, if we're not the leading SEC team, they are. It's one of the two, it feels like, so. Anything else? I think that's pretty good for Frank Martin's uh, Gamecocks there. Yeah, I wish we knew enough to deep dive even more into what their players are up to and all that, but we don't. So <laughs> we, we will be we will be keeping a good eye around the league. I think the thing with basketball is, you know, we're going to obviously be recapping mainly the Auburn games, but we probably will add a segment for SEC play that's just, hey, here's the finals that have happened this week so far. And you start to get those storylines and hear those players like who's you know, coming through in those big moments, what our team's going up, are they healthy, are they going down? So we'll kind of, we will definitely be touching on the SEC, probably not as much as, you know, other podcasts potentially, but we're going to be pretty Auburn focused, but we will start to see those storylines more once conference play starts. Number 10, Missouri. I know uh, next to nothing about this team. If there's a team on this schedule I don't know a lot about, it's Missouri, man. They this, were supposed is, to be our team in the SEC when they came over to like become a conference member they were supposed to be the basketball team that was what they were trying to sell really what they were trying to sell is tv rights to another state but the thing they tried to like say is a good reason why they should come is they're not a good cultural fit really it's strange i if you ask me to name all the sec teams missouri is probably the last one i end up naming like i'm like probably like trying to think what i'm missing you know and they're supposed to be good at basketball they have not been good at basketball you forget about it when that game comes up on your schedule you're like 
okay, what's going on over there? I have not heard that name in years, you know, so tell me something if you know anything. Well, I know a few things. Um, Missouri, I believe, still coached by Quanzo Martin, who was at Tennessee. Um, they are, again, they're picked 10th, so they were picked preseason a little ahead of some of these teams we've talked about already. Um, they, Xavier Pinson was a really good guard for them, who's now at LSU, so he left. Um, they are six and six. They lost to Kansas City. Uh, good, decent losses. Well, by a lot to Florida State. Lost to Wichita State. Lost Kansas by twenty-one State. to Liberty. Florida State's uh, bad this year, by the way. They, I think they were picked to be good this year. I don't. I need to like investigate what's going on with Florida State. We saw that the last team we looked at, South Carolina, I think, had beaten Florida State, but they're not great. So losing by thirty to Florida State's not a great look. They lost by thirty-seven to Kansas and twenty-five to Illinois. Both those were on the road, but I mean. Those are pretty pretty big blowouts, and they start their conference season by playing at Rupp Arena. So um, I, it wouldn't surprise me, just based on what little I do know, um, if they were to maybe slide lower than what they were preseason picked, you know, behind a team like A&M maybe um, or a South Carolina team or something like that. Those, those teams all feel like they can move around a good bit in that little bad, other than maybe UGA. They really look defeated and bad and just waiting for that guy to get fired at this point well and we play missouri only once on the road um so that again oh. that's that's probably a good draw for auburn you know i mean it, you know if you you've got a few teams you're only going to play on the road um that's one you hope you can get you you're always nervous on the road in the sec that's just that's in with basketball the way it is so many results can change but i i like that draw for auburn though That'll be one of the very few uh, you'll hear us talk about, I think, how hard away game wins are. Not only do you shoot just like, I mean, hopefully we come out, we, we fix it a little bit. We've had some really bad away shooting the last couple of years. And we're not alone in that. It's hard to win away games in the SEC. But one like Missouri, there'll be few of them like that, that if we can't win at Missouri, that's bad. That'll be something we're going to have to like talk about, you know, losing at Alabama or Tennessee or Kentucky, even Arkansas, LSU, Florida, uh, those aren't so bad at at Ole Miss, Mississippi State. Those uh, you don't want to lose them, but you're there. Like you can understand them, you know. So, but well, lose at Missouri, that'll be an issue. And again, it, the metrics it matters. Like you get credit for depending on where their rankings are and stuff. You get credit for going on the road and beating a mediocre team because it is like the people who judge college basketball know that that's a challenging thing. So again, that's actually a better for your resume it'll count as a better win if you go on the road and beat Missouri than if you were to lose to them at home or, or beat them at home, you know? Yeah. Um, so anyway, so number nine preseason pick Ole Miss, Kermit Davis, former MTSU coach up in my area here in middle Tennessee, really good coach, a little bit of a crazy person, but most of these basketball coaches are, um, plays some really fun, uh, fun if you're not playing them, changing defenses, some one, three, one half court traps that drops into kind of a matchup zone really gave probably more than any team on this, you know, in the conference has given Bruce trouble the last few years. There've been some ugly close losses. What last year, right. With Sharif, um, we had an overtime loss to them, I think. I don't know. I don't know if we talked about the last pod. I feel like maybe we did already get the old mess. Maybe that was just off on a different phone call or something, but old mess, like you're right. They've had our number the last couple of years. It was Frank Martin for a couple of years there that felt like even if their team wasn't that great, they're going to give Bruce Fitz. It feels like it's Kermit Davis. Now, maybe this whole Jabari Smith breaking the zone kind of stuff is going to completely change that. I would love for us to break through this year. It'd almost be fun if we like predict what the next team will be that 
gives us fits just by the way they play. But it was good to see us go through Syracuse the way we did with that zone. So I don't know if they play the exact kind of zone, but it's just good. It's different. It's going to take away that easy. I was talking about Jabari Smith, how he's kind of the cheat code. Um, Really, that'll be – we play them twice, um, home and away. So you get – We always do, right? um, It's like part of the deal or – there's you know, I think you always play twice, right? We're always going to play right. twice. I think, I think it's Alabama, Georgia, and Ole Miss are the teams we always play twice, and then the other two rotate. Yeah, and so the, this Ole Miss one, we've, the, the big thing we've struggled with them with that zone, we had to, like, break in and drive on the zone. It's been really difficult. We've had a lot of possessions where we go down there and pass the ball around the three-point line a bunch of times and then end up near the end of a shot clock taking a contested three, and that's the whole offense. And so you hope we can figure out how to break through that with some of the great players we have. I don't know if there's some lobs we can get in there to Kessler or what we're going to do. It's just going to be something to watch to see if we struggle early in these games and all we're doing is shooting contested threes away. It's, it could be tough. They're another team that's just physical. I mean, they they will bring the battle to you. Maybe not as aggressively so as South Carolina traditionally, but um, they're not fun to play. And they've they've had a mixed bag. They beat Memphis, which we kind of doubt how good of a win that is. They lost to no Sanford. idea what to do with Memphis now. I like to. I'm gonna in my head. This is an Auburn podcast. Memphis is bad. <laughs> Alabama is bad for losing to Memphis. No one gets credit for beating Memphis. That's where we're at right now, and that's how I'm going to keep talking about it. That's fair. And they, they lost to Boise State. They lost to by 23 to Western Kentucky. Um, the, their best win is Memphis. So they, they're another team, and they start, you know, SEC play with Florida and at Tennessee. So, you know, they're going to find out real quick uh, where they yeah, stand. We haven't seen the schedule yet where for these lower teams, it's not like there's nobody good for them to play at this point. SEC is like – it's not as deep as maybe some thought it would be going into that at conference. We've had some teams they thought were going to be great, like Alabama or like Kentucky, that have lost games they shouldn't have. So it's kind of taken our reputation down a little bit. But it's going to be tough. It's going to be tougher than it's ever been, probably. All right. Anything else on Ole Miss? Uh, oh, I'll have one thing on Ole Miss. Uh, uh, we have some sordid history with Ole Miss. They have a, a player, what's his name, Henderson? They gave Marshall Henderson. Marshall Henderson. That gave us uh, uh, the or we gave him the finger because he went nuts out there on the court us one time. And I watched a great documentary by Vice of following him maybe five or six years ago where he was playing in Iraq. That's where he ended up playing professionally in uh, Baghdad, I believe, in Iraq. So if you're looking for some interesting, like deep dive kind of thing, and you're just sitting there for lunch and you want something to watch, it's actually pretty interesting to see a guy like that that, you know, probably one of the best players in the country, really good to play. And if you just don't make the NBA or the G League, you know, which is a, a small percentage of players get to make that, you're in Baghdad playing basketball, trying to get paid before every game. He's so. a good player. He was the uh, Andy Kennedy era Ole Miss. Is he, so. is he on a coaching staff now, too? Did I see that he's like an assistant coach or something? Well, Andy Kennedy's at UAB. Uh, no, Marshall Henderson. No, I know. I, I don't know if he would have followed him there or something. Google. Google. Yeah, we can go on to the next one if I see on here. All right. Well, the number eight team in the preseason poll uh, was Mississippi State, coached by Ben Howland, another, I believe that's the fourth Final Four coach in the SEC. Um, Mississippi State is a decent team. Um, Let me pull up their thing. They are at what, uh, like eight and three, nine and three, maybe? Um, I should have looked at that before I pulled up their schedule. I looked at Marshall Henderson, and he did coach for one year as a graduate assistant uh, in 2020. So that was last year. So I don't actually know what he's doing now. But according to his uh, 
Wikipedia page. I assume he's not still the coach or they would have changed the stat to 2020, 2022, but maybe no one's uh, editing Marshall <laughs> Henderson's Wikipedia page that uh, often, you know? Yeah. Um, you know, they've, they've kind of taken care of business. They lost on the road at Louisville. Uh, they lost to Minnesota in P5 game. They lost a close one at Colorado State, but they've won everything else. Um, I'm going to pull up there. Yeah, Mississippi State, I thought they were the team we played twice every year. We do. Um, we have a long history with them in football, but I guess Ole Miss is that team because we only play them once, and that game is uh, in Starkville. And the hump, as it's affectionately known, is a tough place to win historically. Like, it's just one of those kind of – uh maybe it's just because it's a weird older arena um but there are, these away games are tough man there's not an away uh, game in the sec you feel great about really maybe georgia maybe missouri but like you're right that we have a history and maybe maybe this is our own ptsd or whatever of lebo years and barbie years and stuff that we play at Ole miss and at state a lot more than these different schools you kind of have like all these memories of like mediocre auburn teams losing to mediocre mississippi state teams in the hub you know well, and, you know, we play them at the very end of the year. So after that big Tennessee game that everybody's going to be hyped up about, the last two regular season games are at Mississippi State and then uh, South Carolina at home. So That's great. I'm glad that's how the schedule works out because it could be coming down to the wire. And it'd be nice to be playing two teams like that to where, like, if we have to get hyped up to beat them. I don't, we won't have to get hyped up to beat them if it's coming down to the wire, I guess, you know. They have a they have a guard um, that I remember now from the last couple of years, Iverson Molinar. He's like a little point guard, scoring point guard. He's third in the SEC right now, uh, behind Scotty Pippen Jr., who we took discussed, JD Note uh, at Arkansas. So he can fill it up. I want to say they have a big guy. Um, you were saying you were talking about Iverson Molinar. That's what you were just saying. Yeah, yeah. He's on the, the first team All SEC preseason poll, so yeah. you're not alone in, re- in respecting him to have. We'll see. You know, we've had two games in a row, I think, against St. Louis now. And uh, I guess we skipped one. So St. Louis and uh, the last game we played Murray State where we had some guards running past our guys and had a really hard time switching people on to try to stop these guys. So it'll be interesting to see somebody like Molinar if, if they tear, like, tear us up, you know. Oh, yeah. Well, so as we, and as we get into these better teams, I do want to get a little deeper into who's actually playing them, you know. No offense to the lower half of the league. We'll, we'll learn about your players when we play you. Um, so Florida was ranked number seventh in the preseason poll. They're nine and three. Mike White has a weird existence there where Florida has such a great tradition in basketball, at least in the last, you know, 20, 30 years. And he seems like he's been like at times on the hot seat and they don't really know what to do with him. He, they kind of get, they've gotten in the tournament a decent amount, but it's usually as a lower seed spend a lot of time on the bubble um he's like he's he's very much like just riding the line of acceptable there and it's kind of like uh i don't want to use metaphors for other uh sports but he, they believe they can be better they've seen them be better they won two national championships in a row they they had a great coach billy donovan back in the day it was like florida and kentucky back and forth for a little bit there and i think they believe that it's where they should be in the hierarchy and so if you look at the rest of the SEC, they, they play really well. They're just consistently going to the tournament, and, and that's tough, you know, and consistently being competitive. But when your expectations are really high, it's tough. So if you look at comment sections in Southern Florida, their fans are not happy with him. But when you lose to Texas Southern at home, that's the kind of stuff that will get you fired eventually. Yeah, that's probably the biggest, you know, that got national attention. Texas Southern was 0-7 
hadn't won a game, went into Gainesville, won by double digits, and it wasn't that close. It was like a, uh, the final was 15. They were down by more than that in the second half. And uh, that's, but that's kind of the weird blemish, though. They lost a close-ish game to Oklahoma on the road. They lost to Maryland by two on the road, two decent P5 programs. I think this Florida team actually can be pretty good. I think they were picked right below that top tier for a reason. Um, they have a guy, a big guy, Colin Castleton, who's a really good big man. I, that, that's going to be a really fun matchup with Walker Kessler. Auburn does play Florida twice, home and away. Um, so, yeah. You see in uh, first team all SEC, that Colin Castle guy, there's one, two, three, four, five, six guys picked as a first team all SEC, and he's one of them. So, you know, something to watch out for. Uh, another interesting thing about Florida, one, they've, they've been very scrappy. It feels like under Mike White, they've not shot well. Their offense hasn't been great. They had a, a team, I think, that uh, I kept wanting Auburn to emulate at one point of just being scrappy. They just kept pulling out wins. Yep. out of nowhere because they just kept like making games dirty playing great defense and their offense was awful but it was fun to watch that you know you're you, sometimes your talent's just not there in offense but you should always be able to scrap on defense and that's how he's kind of made tournaments on scrapping like that so it's kind of ugly to watch you know they're they're kind of um they're kind of like they're they're annoying to play they're kind of the opposite of bruce right bruce is free flowing up tempo take shots i don't care you know like you know yeah, like kind of bring the energy and they're kind of very like they play really hard they're they typically very good defensively with him um but they they always seem to kind of underachieve on offense and i don't know if that's because they underachieve or because the rest of the league is so dynamic and free-flowing offensively that it almost just feels old school in a way and it just doesn't look the same as the other teams almost another interesting narrative one to go back a little further is it I've also wanted us to be like the Florida from those days where they were winning two national championships from an attitude of uh, back then when it was Florida and Kentucky going back and forth in the league, it was just them two, really. I'm sure some other teams had little pop-ups here and there, but it was them two. And I was kind of hoping when we finally started breakthrough with Bruce and the rest of the team sucked in the SEC, that that's what it was going to be like. Like that happens. I feel like Kentucky always stays at the top and stays, but like other teams have their moments, you know, and I was kind of hoping Auburn would have, it's moments for a couple of years as like the main competitor in Kentucky and nobody else. And now the SEC's invested so much money and, and hired all these final four coaches that it feels like we're constantly, constantly competing against first. It was Tennessee. Like who's going to be like, you know, Kentucky's a blue blood, but we were the new blood, you know, but then Tennessee was having a good time. It was really frustrating because they got a lot of hype and they were competing with us to be a new blood, but we kept like taking that from them and be like, no, 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 it's us, you know, which is great. But now then you got Alabama and you got LSU and maybe even Arkansas at times right now. So really like that whole concept of the two, like the bipolar uh, SEC world, that it's always at Kentucky and always whoever's the up and coming team. It's just yeah. not really like the narrative that it can be anymore. We have several teams in there and it's just going to be a, a slug. You know, you're not going to have that kind of like circling the Kentucky game kind of thing. You're going to have to circle a lot of games on the schedule. You mentioned, um, you know, Vanderbilt back when they, it was Vanderbilt and it was Florida. And then that was it. The SEC had like two and a half good teams per year usually. And it's just completely shifted now. You know, the fact that LSU and Mississippi State, or not LSU, Florida and Mississippi State are they're pretty decent teams. I think those are teams that could definitely make the tournament. I think Ole Miss could make the tournament. Um, like, it's just, you're right. It's become more crowded at the top in the SEC than probably it's ever been. Sadly, we have to talk about Will Wade and LSU, 
I absolutely hate it. It's everything wrong with college basketball. Bruce had that that one uh, journalist that we hate, uh, Pat Forty, I think is his name, wrote that insane article. Maybe it wasn't Pat Forty who wrote this one, but someone wrote during our Final Four run that Bruce Pearl is everything wrong with college sports, which is just absolutely ridiculous. It should be the opposite. Bruce Pearl actually cares about college sports and wants to do well and wants his kid to do well. Will Way, on the other hand, is like single-handedly exposing the like underbelly of NCAA and like causing a like he's the water the ice in the crack of the NCAA just causing like the foundation to break by not getting punished for in, its insane behavior he's doing and if he wins this year he already won one SEC title uh through this and people like it just makes you squirm and you almost like you can feel college basketball fans just being like just don't acknowledge it just don't talk about it and it's not there if he can win another SEC title and do something in the in the March Madness like he's making it you have to look at it, you know, like you can't like ignore the foundation breaking underneath you anymore. And it's so frustrating to even go in the threads or to lose to them and just have to be like, we lost them, but we should never be playing this game. Like, you know, it's so frustrating. We, uh, even our guy, Charles was on, you know, one of his interviews just immediately goes right to that. Like, you know, it's just not, it, it's kind of the, the unspoken thing that everybody knows about and they're 12 and 0. And we'll talk about their schedule, but like they're 12 and 0. They were picked sixth in the league to start, you know, preseason. Uh, they've been a little better than people thought, I think. Um, and it's it's a huge storyline. We just spent a lot of time um, with Michael talking about the obviously Auburn plays them the only time they play them this year at home to open SEC play. Talk about a massive game that you know you think about a tiebreaker with them. Uh, if you end up close to them in the standings and I, it's, it's LSU's litmus test. Uh, Jackson posted something on our Instagram page last night because Will Wade kind of went out of his way to just talk about Auburn, how difficult of an environment it is. You, we're not going to be able to get away with the stuff we're getting away with right now. You know, next Wednesday when we go to Auburn, um, that game is going to be tremendous and I cannot wait to watch it. Even if it's on ESPNU. Thank God it's on an Auburn arena and so ridiculous that it's on ESPNU. I think we talked about that with Michael Jay talked about uh, this might be a team we have issues with on offense with our smaller guards. Uh, you wish maybe we could have another, you know, you wish you could just start off. I don't know how you want to put the schedule together necessarily, but you don't want to start off against a 12 and 0 LSU. At least it's at Auburn arena. It'll be interesting to see how the guards do like Jay was talking about if they have issues scoring. We've been talking about that all throughout a conference too, to see like when we play bigger and better teams, some of the smaller guys, how athletic they look comparatively. I think I put my, predictions later there's a couple players I feel like are going to fade a little bit once we play better competition like right now they can out athletics and these other guys uh I just hate that you have to talk about LSU at this point like I wish we could just reset this it's like uh it's just corruption it, like that's all it is it's 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 like you go back and forth LSU happy wants to just ignore it and like move on and like it's frustrating four years in that we still have to have this conversation and remind people because I think it feels like ESPN has just moved on. They're like, listen, we've talked about Will Wade's corruption for four years. Like, how are we going to keep doing this? But that's what they want. They want us to just move on. Me and Matt talked about a thing on a different podcasts or maybe offline that we think they might just be trying to wait out the NCAA at this point. Like, they're just ignoring the NCAA. UNC figured it out and did it and got away with it. We've talked about LSU's connections with the NCAA, the brother in law of the Mark Emmert, the NCAA president, is that the AD there. Mark Emmert used to be the AD at LSU. It's a whole thing. Like, it feels like they really, like, they're causing it and also 
waiting on the NCAA just to collapse. And that could literally happen in the offseason. It could happen this offseason, next offseason, whatever. It'd be a it'd be terrible for college basketball as much as we get irritated with the NCAA that like the commissioner type will be gone because who's going to thrive in that is the LSUs and the Bamas and the Georgias that are willing to cheat and willing to mold the rules around what they want to get away with. And that's what's happening right now. I'll be, it's going to be hard to watch college basketball and college sports in general. If LSU keeps getting away with this and instantly collapses at basically saying like, all right, you cheated too well. We have to go. (laughs) That's what it feels like right now. Well, it's going to follow them. If they, if they are, if they're going to compete with the top half of this league and be in the race, I mean, it, it's going to follow them everywhere they go. Michael mentioned it, like they're coming for them. Uh, I know the jungle will be all over it. Um, I was at the game two years ago, the great Javon McCormick comeback uh, at home against them. And people, I mean, people are not going to forget it, especially the teams that play them consistently and are kind of competing for that space. So it's almost like, I think you mentioned this earlier, if, if they succeed, the, the spotlight is going to go up on that. And if they don't succeed and don't have a great year, it almost kind of people don't pay as much attention to it. I, I've even sensed a renewed, you know, focus on it on the internet and how people are talking just because they're 12 and 0. And by the way, they're 12 and 0 for a reason. Um, they have killed a lot of teams. They've had a lot of double digit wins like us. Um, they are, let me see, they have like, they're averaging beating teams by 24 points a game. They're, almost tops in the country holding teams to 53 and a half points per game. Um, so, and they have some guys that you'll recognize. Darius Days has been there forever, a big guy who can rebound and shoot threes. Xavier Pinson, experienced guard from Missouri. A guy, Eason, who's a forward for them, averaging over 16 points a game. Um, I think uh, Jay mentioned Eric Gaines as well, who's up there with steals per game as a guard. Like just, they have a lot of talent. And I think the way Will Wade is talking about them, he is kind of pushing. He thinks there's a lot of potential on that team to kind of – I think he thinks they can compete for it all. And their their march towards that will start in Auburn Arena on Wednesday. Let's look, let's look at their schedule again real quick. I know they haven't played anybody. I'd love to give a sense for people that are listening in and don't see the schedule. Like, who's their best win on here? Maybe Penn State at home, but Penn State maybe away at Wake Forest. Um, no, there's Belmont. Teams. Belmont's a good team. They just beat out at home. Belmont at Georgia Tech's. Uh, like you know, it's always hard to win away. But that that's about it. It's I mean, not I'm much. Kind of looking, I mean, I'm just kind of looking at P5 teams. Really, you right, you might be right that Belmont win might actually be good because Penn State's a perennial like with Georgia, one of those awful teams with what Auburn used to be. Wake Forest, I mean, I know they've had some decent teams in the past. I don't know how good they are this year. You know, it says at Georgia Tech. I don't think they played at Georgia Tech. I thought they played in the Atlanta t- Thanksgiving tip-off thing like we did. Neutral side, yeah. Yeah, it's probably just as many LSU fans, even though it was in Atlanta. Well, and like you said, they, they haven't been tested. Well, they're about to. Uh, so they mentioned that on the – I don't know why we're talking about LSU's schedule during the Auburn-Murray State game, but we were last night on the telecast. And uh, they go at Auburn. Kentucky at home, Tennessee at home, at Florida, Arkansas at home, at Alabama, at Tennessee. Cool. I mean, that is vicious, and I hope they are humbled on it. I, I mean, it's one of those things. I kind of want somebody to beat those teams they're playing, too. So it's it's going to be interesting, but uh, not them. It, it's getting tough out there, right, on some of these, like, teams. You don't want anybody to win, honestly. So, yeah. like, it's hard. Like, do I want LSU to beat Kentucky? I don't know. I guess it kind of depends on if we beat LSU. If right. we beat LSU, 
then yeah, go out there and beat Kentucky because then it's like one less on Kentucky because we'll know we can beat LSU, you know. Anything on LSU? Or have we I just hate them? them. I hate I know, them. We, we don't like them. Uh, it's a, it, feels like a, it, it feels like a massive game, like with Auburn having this kind of team and we think they're that, you know, we think the ceiling is just so high. You host LSU at home. LSU's undefeated. They haven't really been tested. It's Bruce Pearl and Will Wade. It's, it, there's a lot. It, it's not a – the season's not over if Auburn loses, but, like, you want to protect home court. It would be a huge win to kind of keep showing people, hey, this Auburn team is for real. And um, it's going to be – I'm really excited for that game already. <laughs> the LSU game hurts to lose even more. I mean, I'm sorry ranted a bunch about the corruption and everything. People say there's, like, this innate feeling inside humans about fairness that we have this, like, really, like – insane thing about wanting things to be fair children especially have this really like crazy thing when you when you're babysitting children whatever that everything has to be fair if they get this you get that you know and so to see lsu getting away with stuff when we didn't like that and there's this way worse than us we've all talked about the instability stuff at this point it, get, it almost turns you into a child a little bit when you lose to lsu because you're already it's already hurts to lose any sec game like that it hurts to lose to a rival but man when you lose to a team that you feel like is getting an unfair advantage that's having corruption it should have been gone before you just have this extra like vitriol like the comment sections and things you really like can feel like from just like man that sucks we lose to man screw those guys i hate losing to them to like you guys are morally corrupt <laughs> like we like you somebody's gonna burn down that kid. like ugh, it makes me so angry but that's my that's my lsu stuff we're, we're gonna move jackson on from lsu so we can uh <laughs> continue everybody hates them i hope we beat them and we will have a lot of fun on that podcast uh if we beat lsu on Wednesday. oh yeah um auburn was picked fifth in the league preseason we'll talk about auburn uh, after we get want, through our, our list talk about a little bit but just like where we are placed i know we'll get way into sure. auburn we into auburn everything it annoys me that we got picked fifth uh it feels like my thing with being picked fifth is the belief in bruce pearl i feel like uh calipari or mike k or any of these other like more legendary coaches i don't think Bruce is quite there and all that kind of stuff but they get the benefit of the doubt when they bring in new recruits when they bring in transfers and they have four new starters bruce still is not getting that I don't know how much more he has to do to start getting that benefit of the doubt when talent comes in that he's going to figure it out and he's going to do it right. We've seen every year how well he does at developing the one that he finds the talent. What a great eye at finding the talent. Like it's really something that Bruce Brown, I know we're bragging his fans or whatever, but he just, it feels extremely underrated and that we think he should be a bit higher up on the totem pole of the way they talk about coaches. He's such a great eye for finding these guys. Then once they're in, they're developed and then he peaks them at the right time in the schedule and so it just gets frustrated when you see him pick fifth, a bunch of other guys. I know they have talent. I know they have hype. We had a lot of hype too, and we just don't seem to be getting the benefit of the doubt that Bruce is going to do, be able to develop these guys better than the other people, better than the Rick Barnes, better than the NATO. It's better than who, who was the other guy picked above us. There's one other team. Picked Musselman. Up. Arkansas. Musselman. I think you're already seeing with Arkansas right now the, the issues, like that they're just, they're not a Bruce Pearl coach team, and we have a Bruce Pearl coach team, and that's, it frustrates me that we're fifth. You know, it, it's why Bruce and Auburn are a great marriage. You know, it's 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 the classic underdog syndrome. I think he fits us really well. And you're right. I mean, I think people again, keep in mind, this was a preseason poll. So before we ever saw Jabari Smith play, before we saw these two players, um, I, I think it was fair ish. I think the upside was definitely there to be a top three or four team. Um, now I feel really good. You know, I don't know about you, but just look, I mean with what's happened, we'll see what happens in SEC play, but I feel like Auburn has a 
more realistic chance to win the league than I did before the season started for sure. Um, so anyway, top four, uh, we'll talk more about this, but obviously the top four is really important. Top four teams get a double buy in the sec tournament, which is really valuable if you're going to try to win that. And, um, Tennessee was picked fourth. We have a lot of, obviously a big narrative. There is Justin Powell. We've talked about Devin Cambridge wanting to dunk on him. We hope that happens. They uh, play in Knoxville only one time on February 26th on a Saturday. And I plan to be there along with Michael, apparently. And Rick Barnes has had his Tennessee's arguably been the most consistent regular season SEC team, uh, but they have very little to show for it. The last five years, we still have more wins over them, even though that every time they think they've won something, we win it. We win the rings and all that stuff. But not only that, supposedly their thing is, okay, well, maybe they aren't in the rings, but they're really good in the regular season and I've gotten the hype. Nope, we still got that. that we still too. got more wins in the last five years than Rick Barnes does. So screw yeah. them. I'm tired of Tennessee fans. We have the ludicrous shared SEC title where we beat them head to head in Knoxville. Uh, we have. See if it happens again this year. It's so frustrating. When yeah, you we we won and you can't even say it was at home. We won away. They should not get a share. We uh, we beat them in the SEC tournament, which I was at at Bridgestone Arena, which was an amazing uh, experience. Um, we've just consistently we obviously had the final four rick barnes went to one final four in 2003 so he's i believe the fifth uh coach will play that has a final four in his resume but if you talk to texas people if you talk to tennessee people now they get real nervous in march because they just haven't been, it, it really reminds you because i'm not look i'm glad we've had a lot of success against tennessee they're a good program they're a good team they have good players um it's hard we auburn's beaten them six or seven times in a row or something like that but it they're good it just makes you realize how special, you know, the final four run was that, that Auburn went on. Like that is it every, you know, the 64 teams that make the field, a lot of them are going to lose, you know, in, in the first, second, third round. So um, I, I hope it keeps going. They are, they're an interesting are we, are we, case. They go ahead. Have we won six in a row. Is that right? It was huge that we won last year in 2020. I think it was we had such a down team. And they were supposed to have such a good team because it, it seems like we were holding serve a little bit. Like we were ahead of them. And then they had a really down year in 2019-20. And I wish we could have like put our foot on the throat. They had a really bad year. We were peaking at just the right time. COVID got in our way. I really think we would have won the SEC tournament and done something in March Madness. And it would have really put us above Tennessee in that bad year. And then we reversed it. We had our bad year and they had their good year last year. And so now it's like back to kind of being on serve again with them. It's, it's not as big of a deal as it was a couple of years back when we thought like maybe we're competing to, with Tennessee to be the new bloods. Now there's several teams competing to be the new blood. So it's not quite as bad, but we've had so much like history now over the last couple of seasons with Tennessee fans and them thinking Rick Barnes is just like, now they're starting to get frustrated and start seeing it a little bit, but they think Rick Barnes is so great or whatever. They've had some great recruiting classes and stole some players that we wanted the big one, Justin Powell this year. So that we really want to win. I think the players it's giving them Bruce Pearl doesn't need any extra incentive <laughs> to want to beat Tennessee uh, but they have that extra incentive now with Justin Powell. It sucks that it's away because you know the signs and the memes and the like fans would have gone nuts on Justin Powell. You hope Matt's going and Michael's going. We'll still get in a couple shots. Uh, I, I keep, I, I like, he, like I said, the other pockets, Justin Powell was my head for it freaks. I really thought he was going to be a great player. And it just really frustrated me that he had that weird concussion thing that people would still wonder like what happened really like, did he really have a concussion the whole year? Was there like a fight at some point? Was like, what happened? Clearly, like after him transferring, we know something went wrong. 
we don't know exactly where things were to blame or whatever. He's at Tennessee. When I see a chance to look at the box score, I usually do to see how he's doing. He's fine. I thought he was going to be great last year after the way he started and that he would be a starter on this team and be in that three position while Flanagan was out and really do really well. He's all right. He's coming off the bench. He's had a game or two that's been good. And he's got a couple games where he disappeared. So we'll see how he is by the end of the year. Well, so Tennessee's good. I mean, and, and the thing you can say about them, they played a, a more difficult schedule than, than most of the teams we've seen so far. They uh, lost to Villanova, who's a top – I don't know what they are now, but they're one of the top teams. They lost a couple games, I think. Um, you know, North Carolina seems like they're struggling, but they still win. They still beat North Carolina by 17. Um, we, we broke North Carolina a few years ago. But, I mean, Kentucky uh, beat North Carolina and Vegas by like 30. They, they did. I think, I think North but, Carolina is a little down, but it's but still a big deal. They just beat an undefeated Arizona team last night um, at home. They, they hosted Arizona. So, I mean, but but this yeah, is a good that team. One, that one really put it over the thing. I think coming into this game, if they had lost, like we thought they would normally to Arizona or just played another uh, team like we did last night, I would have said like, here we go again. They're getting hyped up as a team and we'll see if they're any really any good or not. And that win over Arizona really kind of puts it over like, dang, they got some good wins. Like it's going to be tough. And again, they, they do play Kentucky twice every year. Um, that's one of their regulars. So, and they, their first three conference road games are at Alabama, at LSU, at Kentucky. Like, um, you know, but again, we're going to find out real quick on some of these teams, some, some quick um, feedback on where they stand. Uh, I'm, I'll be really excited. We'll, we'll be podcasting about the LSU Auburn game and Alabama Tennessee will be going on, so we'll probably be keeping that on. There. I guess I'll I guess I'll be cheering for Tennessee against Alabama because I just hate Alabama even more. But that I just wish both teams could lose that game. There'll be a couple of those this year, you know. I did want to mention a couple of their guys. Um, Holkerson is a just super experienced big guy, crafty winner. Does a lot of little things to help them uh, succeed. They have another guy, Josiah. What's his name? Surprisingly, no first team or second team uh, all SEC guys for a team that's yeah. like top four in the league. Kind of, kind of more of a team, less of it. But Vescovi's there, I believe, still. That I wanted, I wanted to talk about Vescovi because that's yeah. such a weird story too. He came like two two fold stories. Uh, he he started his first game in college basketball against us at home. It was really a weird one because he's from Uruguay and they really needed a point guard, and then out of nowhere they were able to pluck this really like, I think pretty decent player from Uruguay to be their point guard. And like, he played some like semi-professionally in South America for some of these teams, but somehow they got through with that. And it just felt really shady that he jumped in halfway through the season with some professional experience and they could just pluck him out of Uruguay. Like, was he going to class? I don't think so. Like, how was he like, how was he not supposed to just wait till the next season? So it was really frustrating to have him come in. And he had a, had a pretty good game against the first time, I think. He's a really crafty player. He's almost got like that European feel to him. Like, it just feels like some of these guys that don't grow up in American basketball and play that European or South America have like something else going on. The way they move, the way they pass, the way they play the game just seems, I don't know, maybe more crafty or just like, it's frustrating. If you watch it, it's frustrating to watch him play. Like he, he beats you and you don't know why. And I feel like it's just like uh, unexpected things he does because they play a different style over there. Yeah. No, they're an interesting team. I'm really curious. I didn't get to watch the Arizona game last night. Um, they're kind of a wild card to me because on paper, it kind of seems like, oh, you know, I don't know if Tennessee really has the firepower to, you know, win the league necessarily, but um, they have been a good regular season program. They do have a lot of depth. I think they're like us. They have a bunch of guys who have experience who have played. And, um, you know, 
we'll, we'll see. I, I, I wish them nothing but the worst, except for in certain games uh, when we want them to win. Um, it'd be easier at the end of the season when we know where we stand in the stands, who needs to beat who to, for us yeah. to like go yeah. up. But for those first couple ones, man, I don't want everybody to lose. And it's gonna be... <laughs> yeah, no doubt. Um, so third, Arkansas. I, I think you are discrediting Arkansas. I, I think they are quietly building. I think they are probably the program, uh, maybe Alabama, but they are the program I'm, I'm worried about for like long-term competing for championships. They recruit really well. Muscleman yeah, they, is a psychopath, but again, a lot of these guys are, but they these guys seem to seem to be able to make way more hay off of their like runs and recruiting than we get to sometimes. It, like that's part of the thing I was talking about with hype. When these players, these teams come in with a lot of hype that we never seem to receive, we go in and win these things and play better than all these other teams. And then we get like hype right at the end. Cause we actually do it. But these other teams like Tennessee and Arkansas seem to get the hype all season long, Alabama too. And they get to recruit off of that and they get ESPN talking about them. And it just see, feels like it gets them a little like extra bump. And Arkansas feels that way this year. They had a, they recruited well last year. Sure. They kept some Arkansas talent in. They, they kept a guy into Arkansas that we wanted when we've kind of pulled out some good Arkansas players in the past, but they went that sweet 16 run, which is fine. A lot of teams go on sweet 16 runs and they like have built this hype that they are like got back okay. in the nineties again. And that they're going to like take over. Like you hear Matt but, talk about how he's like, I just don't know, man. They don't look that good this year to me. Uh, we'll see. I hope it's not real. Maybe that's my fandom hoping it's a not real hype thing. It just gets frustrating that we don't seem to get that same hype when we've done way more than them. You know? I was terrified of that team last year in the tournament. I, I thought they – I was thrilled when they lost. And they lost a really close game. I forget who it was to. Did they um, Elite Eight actually know that thing? Maybe about it was Elite Eight. I think they were close. Yeah. And, and they, they were – you could tell, like, they kind of had some Auburn 2019 vibes. Like they, that was a really good team. Their, their recruiting class, I believe for next year is set to be like elite. Um, so I'm more worried about them. And here's the other thing I was looking at just now. They have JD no tape, but. It was elite eight. Yeah. So maybe right. I'm giving them not enough credit on that elite eight. You know, it is tough to make an elite eight, but. My, my two player notes, JD Note leads the league in scoring and steals. He's a really experienced guard. And then they have the fake Jalen Williams. Um, not like our Jalen Williams, who's a good rebounder, good inside guy. But look at this. Um, you know, they're 10-2. They lost to Oklahoma and Hofstra. They don't really have, like, super impressive wins. They beat Cincinnati. Um, they beat, you know, at Kansas State. But the, but look at this. This this is fascinating. So LSU had that brutal schedule. Arkansas might be the team that jumps out to the SEC lead because they go – their start is at Mississippi State. Vanderbilt at Texas A&M, Missouri at LSU, South Carolina, Texas A&M at Ole Miss at Georgia versus Mississippi State. Like only one could, team in the first like ten games that feels like they won't be a favorite against. So, but but you know what that means coming down the pike uh, to finish the season: Auburn at home, at Alabama, at Missouri, Tennessee at home, at Florida, Kentucky, LSU at home, at Tennessee. Like. They, they finish like, so if they get upset a few times early in the season conference play, that'll be really good for everybody trying to, but they could easily be the team that's eight and two in first place halfway through the conference schedule. And they fall apart down the stretch, hopefully, while we're building yeah, a team with our depth and everything. That might, We're hoping that's a thing. But. Hopefully so. I think Musselman's a good coach. I think they're building something there. There is a, they care more. They actually do care more about basketball than football there. Uh, because of the history, um, 
I, I worry that they're, I hope I'm wrong. I hope they, you know, can't handle, I hope they're not that good this year, but. Uh, I think, I think we've seen a lot of teams though over the years, it's really hard to do it twice in a row. And that's another impressive thing about Bruce to keep these teams going. We've seen how hard it is to make the SEC or the NCAA tournament like five years in a row or four years in a row. That's that stat we've been throwing around. So let's just give them another year. If he goes another year, uh, the way they did last year, where they play really well in the SEC and then go deep in the tournament, I'll give them credit. I'll do it. But we've just seen so many teams like have their big year and then it fades and then we like forget that we hyped them up so much, you know? Yeah. Anything else on them? No. All right. Alabama was picked second in Ooh. the league. Um, we're we're to our two favorite teams, Alabama and Kentucky are left. So Alabama – uh, had a really good team last year. They won the SEC regular season. They won the SEC tournament, which really stunk for us because they kind of matched. We had done those things in the last years previously to that. Uh, but the one thing they did not do is make the Final Four. They made the Sweet 16 and lost to a play-in team. Thank God. Thank God they, they lost to these uh, this stuff because it was already brutal. Like you said, they won the SEC yeah. stuff. Another thing that really frustrates me with Bama is uh, one, like it just seems like these teams, man, they, they have these years – and they get crowned like same with Arkansas and Tennessee. They have one year and so they get crowned like they're like the future that'll never get stopped again. And it takes it feels like it takes so much more for us to get that same reputation. But they they had a weird year. It was 2020 COVID year. No fans in the stands or a lot or like less fans in the stands. Uh, we had a really tough time. It feel like a lot of big programs had tough times with bringing in freshmen. Like if you were putting your roster around freshmen or run and duns or uh, transfers, you had a really hard time because the practice schedules were messed up. The whole lifestyle of the team was messed up. You missed out on your home field advantage kind of stuff. They came in with a very senior laden team that had a lot of experience and it really felt like they kept it together throughout that entire year. And that's how they ended up winning everything. And I think like that's underrated because they want to talk about Nate Oates and the recruiting, which is really frustrating. But it came down a lot that it just lucked out that they had their senior laden team during that year. They were really good. Herb Jones has been hard for them to replace. Um, he was, I, I believe, SEC Player of the Year. And um, they've been up and down. They've probably been the most Jekyll and Hyde team this year so far. They have great wins. They beat, they beat Gonzaga and Houston back-to-back, who are both, like, top 15 teams nationally. Uh, but they lost to Iona. They lost to Memphis on the road by 14. And they lost to Davidson in a kind of – quickly thrown together due to COVID game uh, this week. So they're nine and three. They have been in the top 10 all year. They probably won't be going into SEC play. And I, Oates plays a similar offensive style to Bruce, which I really hate. I hate that we don't have like an advantage there where a lot of teams we play, we have this stylistic advantage and they're recruiting really well. They have a guy, J.D. Davison, who, you know, Kind of knew was going to Bama probably, but he kind of strung Auburn out. Their best they player. The crazy, they have the craziest hair at Bama, man. They went from a guy, uh, what was that guy's name? They had the insane hair, just like frustrating watch. John I know Petty? it's like one thing for John, was it? John Petty? John Petty, man. I know it's like weird for two white guys to talk about black guys' hairs. Like I don't want to get too <laughs> deep in that. But it was ugly as shit. It was like, sorry, <laughs> I'm custom there. But it was Lily Crab Man from My Name is Rob. I made fun of it for years. And then J.D. Davis come in. He had, I sent you, I think, a stat about it. He hasn't cut his hair since second grade. Is that right? And then it just looks super dumb, like it, like a Super Saiyan-style hair thing. on. We wanted him on the team uh, at one point. I think we backed off a lot of recruiting. 
it's another most frustrating, like uh, same thing with Georgia, same thing with Bama. Same thing with a lot of these state schools, even if they weren't great, like Bama's, even when Bama has been bad, they grab a player or two that they don't deserve really because they're say Alabama on the front of their Jersey and the kids from Alabama. And you know, there's stuff going on with wreck and like, I know like, I put on our little moniker. I said, no filter on here. You know, they're cheating. You know, they have their little things set up and it really feels like with this higher than eight oats and the way the SEC is turned in, they've really like turned up their bag man game and everything from football. And then they said, we didn't care about basketball. And they're going, all right, we're going to invest in the coach and we're going to invest in the recruiting side of this too, if you know what I mean. And it really feels like they've turned it up. Well, I, for me, I always tell people when, when Alabama basketball started getting five-star guys from Canada, Josh Primo, um, you know, it, it seems like something's going on. So they are good. But the, here's the thing. They probably, for the last couple of years, have had more, like, recruiting talent than us on their roster. And I don't get the sense that um, – I don't get the sense that they maximize that necessarily. And I do feel like Bruce does. We did lose to them both times, I believe, last year. You know, last year was kind of a lost season in a lot of ways for Auburn. Um, a lot of pressure. You know, Michael mentioned that. A lot of – a lot of excitement um, and hype for that. Obviously, we played them twice. They're the last team on this list that we play um, both times. And I think we, yeah, we play in Tuscaloosa first. So what an opportunity if we could go in there and beat them in their place and still have the home game coming back. Like, could really, it's important in the state right now because there really is a tug of war for, for power there. And uh, I think we're up to the challenge. You know, ideally, we, we beat them both times. But if we could split with them and, and be competing for that SEC title, I think that would go a long way. That's kind of what I predict is going to end up happening this year, which is frustrating, is we'll probably split the series. We'll probably lose away with some weird whistles and some bad shooting and different things. They always seem to give us their best game. John Petty always seemed to go for 30 points against us, you know, and while he looked like frustrating on the other games and mediocre in other games, he always went off against us, you know, their shooting always seemed to be higher percentage against us, but I think we'll win at home. We'll lose away. And then I'm hoping in the SEC tournament, we play them again and win the series yep. two one. Yep. That's kind of what I envision that we'll peak at the right time. And that some of these players, like it's frustrating. It's the fourth game, I think. I'm hoping by then Flanagan's back to 100%. I'm thinking that's about the time he'll start really being 100%, but it might still take some time to gel. And that I think you'd rather play them at the end of the year than the beginning of the year. Uh, you told her that power struggle as part of the thing with recruiting and like the way, like I said, they always seem to get some of these big time recruits out of the state, even when they didn't deserve it, even when they really sucked, they still have this, like there's certain kids, you get the vibe, like their family needs some help. They're like, other teams want them but then you see like other big teams like kind of like whispering on their message boards and stuff like yeah don't even worry about this kid he's got connections <laughs> like with Bama you know and you're like what is going on and so it, it's really frustrating power wise that we were I felt like we were right there with being so dominant in the state with our program that Alabama sucked and Auburn is legit like a national title contender we can finally start pulling even that last like bit of recruiting kids that have those like weird uncle connections with Alabama or whatever. We were finally coming over the hump where it was like, okay, even those kids can turn down the bag man or the connections or the whole family telling them they're dumb because they know it's legit that much better at Auburn. Now they're back to being like, no, nah, you can win at either place. Like, and on top of that, your whole family's not going to disown you for going to Alabama. So you're going to Alabama, you know? Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of that. We, we know that tale is old as time. 
and we, can, and we can talk about that on this kind of podcast, I feel like, and I'm, and I'm not going to hold back on that kind of stuff. If we were beat writers, if we were actually connected to the team in any way, I wouldn't bring up these, like, it sounds like conspiracy theories. If you're deep into Auburn sports, you yeah. wonder how much is real conspiracy you theories. You, you've seen you, enough, like, uh, it's almost like I, a science experiment. You've seen the results enough that you know there's something acting on the other side. Yeah, that's, how, that's how I always tell people, like, you can say from the outside it's conspiracy or whatever, like, you're not paying attention to it, you know, and it, it goes on. Yeah, and Bruce, to his credit, has done a really, really good job of not using that as an excuse and just, hey, I'm going to go get talent in Georgia and I'm going to go to other places and I'm going to, you know, get on these kids early who maybe aren't as highly recruited and see the future a little bit. And like he's kind of built his own ecosystem because you're right. It's but it's always been like that. I mean, it, it just and it probably always will be, unfortunately. So, again, it felt like having, we were right there, though, didn't it? Where it's it like, did. nah, if you're a basketball player in the state, you know you're going to Auburn. And it well, just felt like we just lost it by like one year. Bruce, Bruce really pushed them to um, you know, in the same way that Tuberville winning six in a row in the Iron Bowl, you know, pushed Alabama a little bit where they were like, all right, we're 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 gonna do something, you know, a little more intense yeah. here, even though they wanted to hire Rich Rod. Um, so frustrating. So frustrating that they anyway. we've talked about a thousand times that they start caring because we start yes. caring and yes. it's just like screw you guys <laughs> i did want to say Jaden shackleford's a really good guard for them who can fill it up he can shoot he's fourth in the sec in scoring points per game right now um they're a good team uh can't really you know excited to see those two i think you know a lot of people think both auburn and alabama could be the two best teams in the league right now so they got they got two guys in the first team preseason all sc that that shackleford guy and then another guy named javon quinterly I don't know much Quinterly. about him. Yeah, I'm Quinterly's not, good. I've watched some of their stuff. I wish I watched more because uh, they, if you look at their schedule again, it's been really wacky. So it's hard to tell. Like I want to like call them out on not being that great or whatever, but they've, they keep going back and forth. They lose to someone like Iona and you make fun of them. I know that's with Patino's team, but it was still like, come on, it's Iona. They've not gotten the talent together. They should for a team that's claiming to be top 10. They lost to Memphis. They lost to Davidson. People are trying to give Memphis like a little bit of a pass because they have a lot of talent. Memphis is really bad this year. They've lost some really bad games. It's an embarrassing loss. I think Georgia beat Memphis maybe. Georgia, Georgia, Georgia and Ole Miss both beat Memphis. And they're awful. Ole Miss lost the same for Georgia's lost to some insane teams. So like that's where it's at. But then they go out and they beat Houston at home, which is dubious, which they're going to get this number 14 win against Houston. But there was a uh, goaltend at the end of the game they didn't call. And Houston went really nuts. And there's like now an infamous gif of uh, – uh, Nate Oaks trying to shake hands with the guy like a petty guy that he is he's like trying to be like game's over while the Houston guys are like no this needs to be reviewed but they legally like by the rules could not review goaltending without calling it or something and everyone says like I don't know man I'm I'm in maybe I'm biased or whatever I thought it was goaltending all the announcers were like it's 50 50 it feels like and they couldn't review it for rule reasons so that's frustrating but then they also beat Gonzaga which is a huge win Gonzaga is really good this year They've lost two, I think, now Gonzaga has. So they might not be like the unanimous number one team, but it's still a really great win. And then, so that's their two big ones, right? They, they beat anybody yeah. else. Either way, beating Houston and Gonzaga are pretty big. And I really hope they were more of the Davids, lose to Davidson, Iona, uh, who else did lose to Memphis kind of team and not the kind of team that also beats Gonzaga and Houston. So we'll see like what the real Jekyll and Hyde Alabama is come SEC play. Yep. And if you're looking for, bright spot if you're a you know Auburn fan or something hoping they don't do well they, their last three games they lost to Memphis 
They barely beat Jacksonville State in a home close game, and then they lost to Davidson in Birmingham. So, like, they're not on a lot of momentum right now. And then they got to go. You know, they open with Tennessee, like we mentioned earlier. So, I think I think it's official. I'm going to be cheering for Tennessee in that Bama game. Me too. Because I think uh, you know, because I go back and forth. Because we might look up come the end of the year, and Tennessee's got one more win on us, and they win the SEC or something, it'd be frustrating. But I think if Bama can lose that Tennessee game, they might start questioning how good they really are by then losing that like three out of four games, you know? All right. Kentucky shockingly picked to win the sec this year. Uh, another loaded team with talent. Um, they have lost twice. They lost to Duke in the season opener by eight. They lost to Notre Dame at Notre Dame and that Notre Dame team is not considered that good. They killed North Carolina recently. They killed Western Kentucky last night. They have some other, I mean, they've kind of done their business against lesser teams along the way. Um, but I think the big story with them has to be their big guy, Oscar Tshibwe. Uh, man, we need Jay Phillips on here saying <laughs> his name all the time. He is a monster. We talked about it at the beginning of this um, in the preview with him. He's averaging 15 and a half rebounds per game. He had 28 last night. He is a monster. If you haven't watched him, check him out. He's also leading the league in field goal percentage because he's massive, 65%. Um, the other guy for them, you might remember from Georgia, uh, Severe Wheeler, again, transferred away from Georgia. He's now the point guard at Kentucky. He leads the league in assists per game. And then they have a lot of other younger players, too, who are super talented. So, what are your thoughts? You'll be frustrated if you're a Georgia fan or a Tom Crean guy. They had some talent they brought in, and then they lost it all in a year to these transfers. And that's like a good – it ended up being good for us. It's probably bad for the sport that you can kind of try to start building a program. And maybe Tom Crean could have really actually turned it around this year with some of that talent on the team, but he's lost all of it to transfers, which is part of the game now is keeping your transfers. But mm-hmm. Kentucky is always tough. Uh, my big thing is that big guy uh, – Oscar Tashibi, I believe, is pronounced correctly, maybe. I don't know. But anyways, he's he's killing it. He's going to get every foul call in our game. I guarantee it. Uh, me and Matt have joked about this for years. I really hope a beat writer or somebody or maybe us will go in. I would love to see how many more fouls per game on average we have against Kentucky. You can argue that maybe because they're a better team, that they're going to have more fouls or whatever called on them because people are trying to stop them. But every year we play them. It is the most frustrating game to watch. Every year we have foul trouble with our centers and our forwards. And this year I think it's going to be no different. I think uh, it'll be one of my preseason notes actually to like do predictions. We're going to have foul trouble against Kentucky. Walker Kessler's been playing so great, getting so many blocks. He's going to have a hard time, I think, in this game. I think we saw when we played UConn how much he got pushed around. You hope he's developed a little more since then. But uh, it might be a game where you see stretch because we're going to have – five fouls on Kessler and five fouls on Cardwell and five fouls on stretch and five fouls. It's just going to be frustrating. It always is. Um, I forgot to mention, by the way, Arkansas, we only play once on the road, which is another historically Bud Walton arena, very challenging Kentucky. We play at home only once, um, which is great. CBS is going to have that game on a Saturday. It's an all Auburn, all orange game. It's, it's going to be the whole jungle Bruce Pearl effect, you know, that, that'll be a big Saturday game for us. Um, Kentucky is interesting because they obviously recruit and have the pedigree and Cal is, you know, a good coach. Um, but man, they haven't had the big time success in 
the conference that they're used to having. They haven't had the big time success in the tournament over the last five, 10 years as, as like they're used to having. So I find them really interesting. They have some, some monstar players of their own. We always talk about Auburn having some, some pretty freakish players. They have some as well. Really curious to see how this Kentucky team, they are playing much better um, the last couple, at least it seems like, but, and their schedule's a little soft early. Uh, they, they could be the team with Arkansas as well that kind of uh, jumps out a little bit. Who, who is High Point? How are they playing their first conference game and then playing some team called High Point? <laughs> New Year's Eve. New Year's Eve hoops. What is that? Who is High Point? How are they, like, what is that? <laughs> high Point is a team in the Big South. Is this, a high school? is this a high school team? Is this the local high school in Lexington, Kentucky? <laughs> like, we play know. some bad teams. I mean, every year we – I mean, I did my funny Billikens thing in St. Louis, but you know who St. Louis is. You know who most of these teams are. I have never, I'm a huge college sports fan. I'm sure you are too. We used to play, like, instant football back in the day when they used to have every team on there. High Point. Who's High Point? In North Carolina, apparently. Who knew? I don't know. That'll be hopefully they'll get upset by high point. We can talk about it all day long, like they did with uh, that team yeah. at Evansville. Which I didn't know who Evansville was either. So, so I'm, I'm looking I mean, at their I'm looking at their Wikipedia page over here, and you're talking about how they haven't had the success they uh, planned on in the last like so many years. Last time they went to Final Four was 2015. Uh, they did go to Elite Eight in, in 2019 against us in 2017. Yeah, you're right. It went, with the reputation they have you know, and the reputation Calipari gets in a lifetime contract and all that kind of stuff. It's been six years since they had like this success they almost expect. So give that another year or two, they're going to get frustrated over there. That's another team stylistically though, that it's a great matchup for Bruce and Auburn. Like they play tight, they play slower, they play possession by possession, um, super athletic, foul disparity. Sometimes they, they do attack the basket ruthlessly. They will, you're right. They get a lot of calls, but they also just as part of who they are, as part of who Cal is. Um, Tony Barbie tried to do that with not great athletes at Auburn and it didn't work. But when you have the best players who can get by people, it's not a bad way to play. I just and think it plays into our foul. And it's big times just like with KD. When you're getting your foul calls, when, you, when you're driving the ball, it changes the game completely. You don't have to make every field goal. You can make every other one and still look amazing. Right, right. Um, so what do you think, like – how many years in a row have we beaten Kentucky at least? I was about to say, I was going to ask you what the stat is on. There's been a stat we were throwing around in the off season, I think, where we're leading the series in the last five years or something like that. Like, or we're tied up in the last five years or something. I don't know if we have that anywhere. Uh, I'm going to look it up. But uh, yeah, if, we don't, if we don't know that stat, that's not great, though. Cause this is the kind of stuff uh, <laughs> that needs to get out there is like uh, when we have these kind of series, like I'm, they're doing a really good job of, uh, talking about how we've got more wins in the last five years than any other SEC team. But if you go back to like that cream canty uh, win at home that broke the series of like 18 losses on a row to Kentucky yep. or something, we're doing really yeah. well. Yeah. We got that one in 2016 um, lost in 2017 in 2018 beat them at home uh, 2019 or no, sorry, 2018 lost. So I guess we did. I thought we had beaten them. Maybe it's at home. I don't remember. We still have a pretty good record there. If we go back to, if you start it the other way in 2021, 
and go win, loss, win, loss, loss, win, win. That's tied up series going back to 2019, I guess. And there's another loss win. So then there's, I guess this is Kentucky's website. Sorry. So, so, so anyway, it was even, it's even back to uh, 2015, 2016. And I think we've, we've won four of the last five at home. We lost that one with the final four team where they were down 20 and almost came back and won. And uh, Harper barely missed a, yeah. a shot. Yeah. Another, um, another big time. Uh, every one of our centers was fouled out by the end of the game kind yeah. of game. Super frustrating. So anyway, sorry. Another thing about Kentucky that's, that's annoying to me. So you talked about how we're going to play that game on CBS at home. It's big for us to be on national TV. I mean, part of it, we're newish we do have a big fan base that it's kind of coming over from football and uh, we're, we're very loyal Kentucky. You're always going to get beat out by Kentucky by fan base and like the national TV and stuff. It can be really frustrating that in college basketball, apparently they pick like the dates and times and even TV networks at the beginning of the year, not even the beginning of the sec conference play, they pick it at the before the college basketball season even starts. So that's how you end up with a, a top 20 ranked Auburn LSU game on ESPNU. And so it does matter when we get frustrated about the hype coming into the seasons and stuff like that. It matters because if we were getting the same hype as Arkansas or the same hype as Tennessee or something like that, we get this game on ESPN and it matters in the long run, this kind of stuff. And so it's kind of frustrating sometimes when this Kentucky game's on CBS and we don't get any other games, we might have another game or two like that could theoretically be top 10 matchups and we might have it on ESPN or ESPN2. I, I think they might have some leadway to move it around if it's like, they have a couple SEC games on ESPN, but it doesn't seem like they do it very often. Once it's set to be SEC Network, they usually keep it there. So we might have like a top 10 matchup one day on SEC Network while Kentucky's playing. You know, Kentucky loses a game or two here or there, and they're top 15 playing against, you know, a mediocre uh, like Arkansas team or something else that's fallen out of the rankings. They're still going to get that CBS game. They're still going to get watched by way more people because that's just how they do the TV schedule and we'll have to build our reputation, you know, but it just feels like we're always like having to work 10 times harder than other programs to get that same like level of respect. Yeah. We believe in work, hard work. That's why we got to do it. We got to take down the, the evil empires of the day. Um, well, I, that, I don't have much on Kentucky. I, they're really good. I, I sense that a lot of teams though, at the top half of the league can beat Kentucky on a given day. And I, I think it's going to, I really think overall, I think the league is really wide open and I could give you, it would not shock me for any of the top six or seven teams to win it. It really would. Yeah, you're right. I think it could be wide open. Let's look, let's look at Albert's schedule real quick. I'd like to see who we play second or first or like how many, like I was going to get you to show, uh, you know, it kind of comes down to, what teams you play twice, what teams you only play away, what teams you only play at home. Like it's frustrating. We play Tennessee one time for if it ends up coming down, like it did in that SEC uh, regular season championship year, that the one game we got to play against Tennessee was away. We, it was good that we got that away win because it's a big deal. It's going to be really frustrating if we tie them and their one win is a close win at Tennessee when you really feel like we could win at home. And so you kind of look at the schedule in that light a little bit. I don't know if you can see. Can you see these? Uh, scroll up a little bit. Right there. Got that. I don't know if that's easier or this uh, scroll down is easier. Is this easier? I think the other one's better. Okay. We'll have to verbalize it since we're a podcast. Yeah, I think we're going to put this one up on YouTube. But so we play 
you got LSU, which we talked about. You go at South Carolina, uh, Florida at home, at Alabama, at Ole Miss. That could be a tough stretch right there. If we, yeah, uh, I, I would say the, Alabama and then lose one to a frustrating Ole Miss. It could be one of our little like moments where we have to keep the team in the in a gelled position, you know. Well, and just just the first four playing LSU, Florida, and Alabama. You know, I mean that's that's you you want to get out of the gate okay and not hurt yourself too bad if you're going to be chasing the title. You know, you don't want to have two or three losses in the first four or five games. Um, Georgia at home, Kentucky at home. At Missouri, you think Oklahoma. we'll get game day? You think we'll get game day again on that Kentucky one? I would. It was so cool to see us on game day, and we made such a big deal. And Bruce does a great job of like highlighting like how that kind of stuff and, and getting everyone's really rallied around it. And it's great hearing. I don't really watch college game day, like especially not basketball, very often. But it's still there is a certain amount of people that do it. And it it's like a moniker of success, you know. Well, it's definitely our only chance for a Saturday big home game that could potentially get it. Um, I just wonder if they would do that again two years ago. They went for that game too. There's a couple that could end up being big, but it would have thing other teams. Like I think our team's headed in the right direction to do this, but like an, uh, I guess it's at Arkansas. So that doesn't really work, but yep. Kentucky, I don't know, maybe you're right. Yeah. Uh, looking down the schedule, there's not one more other top 10. Tennessee, but that's on the road. Saturday. You know, Tennessee could be potential. A lot of our big uh, matchups at home are uh, during the week. Yeah, that Alabama during the week game. Yep. Um, you know, don't forget about the uh, Oklahoma SEC Big 12 Challenge. Auburn will play Oklahoma kind of, you know, halfway through the conference schedule there, but right before we host Alabama. So that's two really kind of cool home games back to back on a Saturday and a Tuesday. Um, lucky, lucky we got that at Baylor in last year. I know like a team this good, you want to have big time games, but I would, I would love to play at Baylor this year. But I would want to play uh, in that a conference. It'd be really frustrating to have this hard of a conference schedule and then have to play at Baylor in the middle of that. So we're lucky that we, uh, in a year that we think we could do something special to get Oklahoma at home instead of a tougher team away. Yeah. Uh, after the big Alabama game, got road back-to-back road trips at Georgia, at Arkansas. Really makes that Georgia game important. Um, you know, you don't want to have to go to Arkansas, uh, you know, heaven forbid, coming off a loss to Alabama and then losing to Georgia somehow on the road. Like, that could unravel. At that point, we are reevaluating the season, you know. Real fat. But then you come home for A&M and Vanderbilt, you know, a good week-long home stretch there. At Florida, Florida has always historically given us fits. We haven't been down there a ton, though. We don't we don't we don't play at Texas A&M, right? This this Texas A&M at home is the only one. All right, that's probably good because, like you said, that's one of those teams that's like we should beat them, but they could be – the kind of loss you get away that you understand, but you wish you could avoid. Yeah. Um, and then it's just Ole Miss at Tennessee is a huge game. Uh, and then at Mississippi State, South Carolina. And overall, our schedule is very balanced. You know, we saw some other teams as we were looking through where, man, they have a two or three week stretch where it's just gauntlet. And um, I like our schedule. You know, the thing I would point out, uh, if we go back to the poll, um, that, that, that at Tennessee game can be huge. Could be if, huge. Goes, if the season goes the way we think it's going to go, or we hope it can go that at Tennessee Knoxville game could be the thing. Like it will might have to finish up the next two games, but it'll be the direction we go. I don't it know how be. their last games go. I'd love to see their schedule. Cause it could be when we're really like circling, you're going, Michael's going, 
you know, I don't know what, I'm sure tickets are already pretty expensive, but if you're an all fan, might be a, might be a, uh, a, a game to think about making a road trip for. And I'll just say it's not that expensive. Uh, it's a bigger arena there. You know, they have more tickets and uh, it's, it's very affordable if you don't mind sitting, you know, upper deck, but maybe lower part of the upper deck. You can, you can have a decent seat for that game. Um, you know, you play five teams twice. And you can get a $37 ticket. That's what I said. Uh, plus fees. Yep. Yeah, plus fees, which, yeah, I mean, I guess that's all it does. You can get $37 ticket to Knoxville game and see a number one, hopefully, pick in Jabari Smith or at least a guy that's going to play a lot of years in the NBA. It could yep. be a huge game. You could have, like, you could theoretically, hopefully, maybe see Cambridge dunk on K on uh, Justin Powell. So that that's that's worth the ticket right there. That's probably worth a hundred bucks if you can see that one in person. So go ahead, get that ticket and make that road trip if you can. Why do you think I'm going? I, I would also throw out there Athens. You can get $20 tickets um, in Athens right now, you know, on online. So that's a Saturday game as well. Uh, both of those games are kind of midday, I think. So it's easy to, you know, make a trip if you're in the Southeast, just hop in the car and go watch some Auburn basketball. I did want to point out, the, overall, this is one of the nicer schedules Auburn's gotten in the last few years. You play five teams twice. Four of the teams Auburn plays twice are seventh or below in the preseason poll. Um, and Alabama's the only one we do, and we play them twice every year. So you're only playing Kentucky once, Arkansas once, Tennessee once, LSU once. That's massive, and not all those other teams can say that about each other. You know, So I do think there is some advantage there for Auburn, and I hope they can take advantage of it. It helps that we get the Mississippi school Ole Miss back to back every year, and Georgia and to uh, say Ole Miss, man. it does help. Georgia is huge that we get them as our like uh, doubled up team every year. So that helps. It sucks that Alabama's gotten really good on the double up year, but we got lucky some years with having Kentucky at home by our by themselves without having to go back. That's pretty big. Uh, we've kind of gone through all this preseason stuff now, and, and kind of giving you the narratives for each one of these teams. Uh, you know come closer to the games we might try to do a little more deeper dive on some of this stuff we'll learn a lot more during the season I'm sure casually just watching around and uh you know we'll hopefully do some like around the SEC uh stuff at the end of podcast maybe we want to keep the weekly ones a little shorter but maybe on Saturdays we'll do like a a wrap-up of SEC stuff for everybody uh another fun thing we wanted to do during this SEC preview uh, is kind of give some predictions a little bit, not, not necessarily predictions. Neither me or Matt like to do score predictions or even like who's going to be the MVP or whatever. We like to go like hyper specific on our predictions. We had a little tougher time. Uh, we do this in some other sports sometimes, but uh, we, we both kind of came up with a couple things and uh, we can go through them here. It'll be interesting to see if they're, they're correct at the, uh, the end of the year. It, it, the part of the reason it was so difficult to do some of these was, uh, now that we're halfway through the season, it's a little like when there's lots more unknowns to start the season, it's a little easier to kind of make some predictions. Now that we have some pretty solid evidence on different things, it's a little harder to make like a uh, wild assumption without just being like Jafari Smith's going to be really good. And he's going to have a game where he goes off super hard. You know, like it's like, of course he is. We've seen that he can do that, you know. But if we had made that prediction before the season, it would have been a little more spicy, you know. Yeah. So you want me to go first? Yeah, I'll let you do one first. All right, which one do I want to start with? Um, I'm going to go bottom to top here. Okay. I think that Auburn is a little stat nerd thing. Um, 
I think Auburn can average a three turnover advantage per game in SEC play. So, you know, on average, forcing three more turnovers than the other team. Obviously, that's, you know, if you just look at that stat, three more possessions, potentially. Uh, not only do you get extra possessions, but you take away theirs. That can be the difference in a lot of these close games. Auburn has shown that throughout the non-conference play. They've been really good at rebounding margin for the most part and turnover margin. I think that can continue. And three per game may not sound like a lot, but on average through an 18-game schedule, that, that would be a really good thing for this team if they could pull well, that off. Do you, do you know what we're averaging right now and at a conference? I think it is. Sir, or what other teams are averaging. I, I don't even – like I know we, we're always trying to win the turnover battle, and that's kind of part of Bruce's offense and defense, that we're always trying to get those turnovers and fast break points. But I'd love for reference. Like are you shooting your – like? Uh, I'm on run it. here or is this a very like uh, mild like take well the, the the reason i settled on three is obviously a lot of teams are so much better you know I, i'm gonna do the math right now on where we're at but uh you wish you could excel, put this in excel you know you go ahead go ahead and give your give yours we'll, we'll go ahead and get into mine yeah i hope we win the turnover battle and stuff like that i think we could do even better than that but i don't know what our usual plus minus is uh my big one to start and i kind of going down from like ones I feel good about slash feel like they fit this prediction is that I think there's still one uh, st starting lineup change left besides the Flanagan one. I think we know Flanagan's going to come in and take over that three position over Cambridge. But I think after that, we still have a lineup change in there somewhere. We just have too many good players. We're still learning a lot. I think the element of bringing Flanagan in is also going to change up some things. And I think in the past, Matt's talked about this. He really doesn't like changing up these lineups. But I think when you have the excuse already that Flanagan's coming in, there's and, and I'm not calling out KD or Wendell or Zepp necessarily, but I think one of those three, they're going to have some change up in there come SEC play when they realize that now that Flanagan's in and we have an extra ball carrier there, a guy that can drive a little more, we might, it might be a more uh, ambitious or more, uh, a lineup that can do better for us if we change it up a little bit. I don't know who that'll be, if it'll be Wendell coming back in and Zep coming out, KD coming in, Wendell coming in, like how they're going to change all that around. But I really feel like halfway through SEC play, there'll be some a moment where they try out a different starting lineup. I, I would agree with that. I think the Wendell, KD, Zep thing is interesting to watch. I think the Flanagan, could, he could come in for KD and start. He could come in for Cambridge and start. Could, you know, here's a lineup that could be interesting that we might could see at some point, depending on who we're playing. You could see a Kessler, Jalen Williams, Jabari Smith, Flanagan, uh, Wendell, or Zepp. You could see them go like yeah. I mean, that. But that's not that ridiculous, right? Because Flanagan was proved last year he's a really good ball handler. There might be a time where we decide the two is the really weak position and we can move Jabari down. I know we've been like, resident, we don't want to play Jabari at the three. I think it might even be part of his recruiting that we wouldn't play him too low but if it gets a little struggle in there and we decide that like the two is the real weakness but we want to play all these other guys then you never know the, the big key would be Jabari just getting minutes and reps on the wing two and three are very similar you can kind of interchange um I haven't seen him do I've, I've been maybe even once I want to say maybe we saw it once uh maybe we not that UConn we saw that UConn come back they played Jalen it wasn't with Kessler it was Jalen Jabari there, but they, they changed it up. You know? Well, we that's one of mine that I'm not going <laughs> to use. Uh, it's not one of my better ones. I, I've said before, I do think Jalen's going to close out some games at center. 
when you want a more mobile presence and put him and Jabari in there together. I think that's fascinating. I, I agree with you. I do think it'll change one more time, whether that's point guard, Flanagan, KD. It, it could be a lot of different directions. I do think it'll change. I think that's a good interesting. Thing. And the word I was trying to look for, I think they could still max. They're going to look at this new lineup of Flanagan in and decide that there might be a slightly better way to maximize the talent on the team and move some guys around. Um, I got my number, by the way. Uh, Auburn is averaging plus 5.9 turnovers per game in non-conference play. Okay. And we feel like so, we're doing really well with that right now. So maybe three is a good drawback. I think three is a good number. Uh, if, if you could average that, you know, that would be great. My next one is I predict <laughs> – I'm not a big results guy, but I do think – I think this shows some confidence. Auburn has picked fifth. I, I think Auburn will get – finish in the top four – and get a double buy in the SEC tournament. I think that is um, kind of what should be expected with this team. It's going to be challenging. There's going to be a lot of hard games, but I really think people are going to beat up on each other. And I think that's kind of a good goal. Obviously, they're going to try to win the SEC with everything they've got. Um, but I'm, I feel somewhat comfortable watching what's happened so far this year, that they, they could be a top four team, get the double buy in the SEC tournament, because, you know, it, we want to win the league. Um, but, you know, if you don't win the league, if you finish second or third, well, now you can go after the SEC tournament and try to win that for the second time in, you know, three tournaments. That would be great. It, it, it's fun that you have two chances there, really, that you could lose the regular season and still feel really good about your season winning the SEC tournament or vice versa, you know. Or getting a really good seed, you know, or just getting a yeah. great seed in the NCAA tournament. Right now, Auburn's probably in that two to three seed range, which is fantastic. Yeah, you, and you could – you had, we've had we've basically seen both where we had a, a year where – we were clearly the best team in the SEC, but then we had some injuries and we really struggled down the stretch and we sealed it and we got that ring. And then we lost in the tournament because we just knew that that team was down. And it was a good thing that we were able to build that lead during the season. And the next year we knew we had such a talented team and just struggled at times. We won the tournament. So we got to like give those rings in two different years. So you hope that this can, this team can do one or the other, you know, you're yep. predicting that we get that double Y, which puts us in the kind of position we need to be. You hope that double Y is either from winning the whole thing or we, we take advantage of it. You know, this this year can be successful. Like, you know, maybe there's too high of expectations, but this year can be really successful in three different ways, really. You can win the SEC regular season and and you don't win the SEC tournament and we go out in the second or third round and NCAA and you still feel pretty good about this team. You win the SEC tournament and you, do, you don't do great on the other two necessarily as long as it's not embarrassing, then that's another great one. You go, even if you don't win the SEC tournament, you don't win the SEC regular season, maybe somebody just turns out to be dominant. You know, another team just turns out to be completely dominant. But then you go deep in the the SEC tournament, you're good to get. So it's nice that we have, like, I think this team, maybe that'll be part of my predictions. This team's going to do one of those three. Okay. I love it. I would love it. Anytime you can do one of those three, that's a successful season, you know. I think you have to define success. My my Uh, other one I actually wrote down, uh, because I want to do these hyper-focused ones, you know. Yeah. I think Walker Kessler is going to lead the SEC in blocks. I think we've already seen that he's just insanely good at it. He's already leading the nation in blocks right now. So I think Walker Kessler is going to lead the SEC in blocks, but he's going to foul out against Kentucky. I think he's really going to struggle against that other guy. We saw him struggling against the UConn guy that could push him around. And we saw how many years in a row that I've been harping on it because we just got done talking about Kentucky that we get in all this foul trouble. It's going to be really frustrating. I think it's going to be great to have a guy leading the SEC in blocks, but also it's going to be frustrating to watch him get foul calls on blocks that usually don't get a foul call on fair and, and that can happen in any game I mean you're right with the bigger guys it, it happens more frequently but refs are very different game to game it's one of the frustrating parts about basketball and uh if you get caught with a couple early fouls you know that can really change the dynamics of a game 
Um, I have one related to Jabari, his frontline running mate. Um, I, I think this is a significant one. You might think this is lame and weak, but uh, I might have the same one on my list. I'm, I'll be curious to see the same one or not. Okay, well, yeah, we didn't talk about this. Um, I have Jabari having a higher scoring average in SEC play than he did in non-conference play. Okay. Not the same one, but I like that thought. That's very interesting that you think he can turn it up to another notch because yep. that's what it's going to be between him being a very good top five player to being an all-time great style. If he can turn it to the next level come SEC play, because mine is, and this is one of my lamer ones or whatever, like you were talking about. I don't think that's that lame. I think it's it's not usually likely that that happens, that a player turns it up after, you know, but I guess a player like this does. I have that Jabari still do for a Superman game the yeah. kind of game where he's just unstoppable and we decided to just feed him. We decided like, nah, you're going to play more minutes. You're going to stay in because you're just so hot right now. They can't yeah. stop you. I was hoping we'd get that in the at a conference because it makes it a little more likely that if we could have gotten it at a conference that he's due for one or two in the SEC. I still think there'll be, I don't know what game it'll be. I don't know what the matchup will be. I don't know if it's a close game and that's why he gets fed. I don't know if it's a blowout and that's why he gets fed or what. But one, at least one game this year, he's going to go off for like 25 plus 10 rebounds, bunch of steals or 30 points. And it'll be the kind of game where the other team's just like, what do we even do? He gets the ball in his hands and the ball goes in and that's all you can do, you know? It's a great one. I, I hope that happens. It, it's like the old uh, when Chuma got hot, the big Chum games, you know, he went big Chum a couple of times. We, we wish it could have been a couple more times than it was. But yeah, you want to feel like you're getting – and I think that'll happen. I, I agree. I think, I think part of it comes down to, too, that there are so many good guys on this team that he has to pass the ball around and share the ball. I think there'll be a game either through injury or just that he's so hot that Bruce tells the team, like, Jabari is going off, get the ball to Jabari. And you see some, like, a couple, like, all it takes is a couple possessions where we usually have somebody else take it and they force the issue to Jabari, but because he's so hot, he makes it happen. That turns the game completely on its head, you know? Wendell Green said last night, um, that's kind of the culture of this team. Like, we don't really care. Like, whoever, like different people are going to be hot different nights. We don't really care who it is. Like, everybody's going to get their run. And we've seen that, I mean, throughout this non-conference play so far. Like, sometimes it's Wendell. Sometimes it's Walker. Sometimes it's Shabari. Sometimes Flanagan is going to pop in and have his moments where, you know, he looks really good. Like, and that's as long as Bruce said that last night, too. As long as our team has that mindset, you know, the sky's the limit, you know, because if people don't get selfish about their own numbers or their own success, then uh, you, you open the door. So I think we have a team and a coach that is has produced a culture that will allow that. Like, I think there will be a couple games where Jabari is that guy. Well, I'll do my next one here. I think you have maybe one less than mine, but uh, yeah, I'm done. that's it. Okay. So I got two other ones and uh, one I feel more strongly about than the other, but this one I feel more strongly about than the next one. Uh, Leor Berman's role is going to shrink a lot in SEC play to the point where at the end of SEC play, the last two or three games, he's just not going to play at all. Like right now he's playing some decent minutes. I think we start off the season and playing some decent minutes, but I think the big difference is come SEC play, we're playing better athletes. His game's really going to shrink down. They're going to want to play him for 10 or 11 games and come the last three or four games. He's, you're going to look up and we're going to be looking at the stat sheet and say, wow, Lior just didn't even play this game at all. He didn't even, like, get in. Because I think for these first couple of games, they're going to play him the way they were playing him previously. Like, like I don't know how many he's actually averaging, like, five to ten minutes or whatever, and they're going to keep mm -hmm. playing that same role for the first, like, four or five games. And then he's going to, like, 
shrink to like one possession in the first half because they're like adamant they're going to play 10 or 11 guys, but they don't play in the second half. And by the last like four or five games, he just legit is not playing at all. And I think it's just going to be the difference between SEC athletes and these out-of-conference athletes. And I hope that he sticks around or gets a good team next year. But I just think that's going to shrink. You might even see uh, – what's his name? I can't believe I'm blanking on his name again. Uh, the bigger Chris, – Chris Moore. Chris Moore, Moore yeah. Yeah, he might even see more playing time at the end of the season than uh, Lior is, even though Lior is dominating his minutes right now because the difference in athleticism might show up. And then, like, when we need that depth, they might throw Chris Moore in when they would have thrown Lior against some less athletic teams. Yeah, the, the, one of the more interesting things is the race for that 10th spot. I mean, it's Lior and Chris Moore right now competing behind Cambridge and how Flanagan coming back impacts that. Bruce can play nine. He wants to at least play nine. So theoretically, they could not play Leo or, or Chris Moore and just run. With I think him. it'll be more like that. Yeah, and it could be. But he's really this year, maybe it's just non-conference, like you said. He's been playing 10 every game. And, and Leo got the minutes last night. It could be Chris Moore. And maybe he's it will average, go. He's averaging 11 minutes per game. Is that what I'm well, looking Yeah, 11.8 yeah. minutes per game. Chris Moore's at 12.2 so far. So And Cardwell's yeah. 11.7. So he's actually – Slightly ahead of Cardinal. Lior's had some time, but they left him in there for a while. So I don't think like every game he does, he just has a couple of games that prior outliers on there. You, you realize but, he's he's eight for twelve from three for the year. He's shooting sixty seven percent. I just think like he's he's like man, he's blown me away with how much he's done in the out of conference, and I love it. And I think he, uh, the fans have really embraced and stuff. I just think there's going to be this drop off come SEC play that the size and the speed just don't work the way they did before and his like his like moments he's having now are just not going to work out for him and I think he had his opportunity in one or two games to really earn those minutes even more he's already earned a certain amount I think he's earned this like five to ten minutes for the first four or so games while playing is working back in and then he's earned at least one possession for like the middle of the SEC games but he's not earned all the way through and he can still earn that back or whatever but I think there was a game or two where he really had a chance to like show some things in offense and he's, he's hit some stuff that we've needed. We did a game or two against weaker opponents. I thought maybe he would like be a little more selfish and make some more shots and he didn't quite do it uh, and had turnover too, I think. So I think it kind of shows athleticism. Yeah. That's my Leor note. And I love, I love, you just love having those guys there though. I mean, you know, we've seen in the past, all it takes is a sprained ankle or a, you know, something go wrong, you're going to be really glad you have a guy like Chris Moore and Leor Berman there uh, waiting in the wings. Well, that, that kind of goes into my last note uh, that kind of came to me last on here. Uh, I think KD, you know, we've been talking about KD so much right now. I hope that come the end of the year, the whole narrative is completely different. But I think KD is going to get worse before he gets better. But by the end of the year, we're going to be like, wow, KD, man, he had his issues and he he like really faded away. We had to take him out of the starting lineup. We don't know. But I think in his last four or five games, once our expectations have changed for him, because we had expectations that he wasn't going to, he was be fine. He was going to come in and be a microwave or whatever. Then our expectations were, wow, a stud, absolute stud. This guy's going to be a killer for us. I can't believe we got this guy to, man, he's been frustrating. He's on a slump. We'll see what happens. I think there's going to be at least another two or three games of that where our narrative completely changes to, man, he's really been a liability out there. He needs to figure out what his role is where we start seeing him shrinking some roles. And like there, I think we'll be talking four or five games in like, man, what happened? We need him to actually do something. And he's like, I mean, Chris Moore, Cambridge is actually taking some of his minutes now or something, but I think he's got the right attitude. I think Bruce will get it together and buy those last four or five games. 
he's going to have some games where he goes off and plays like just a, he'll go from playing the star role to playing a real like catalyst kind of role in a couple of these like games that are really important down the stretch. You might even see it in like that at Tennessee game or something where he didn't star and he's like redone his whole evaluation of how he should play as a player. And you might see him in the second half go off for 10 points and a couple of steals and stuff. And you go, man, thank God he's been waiting around this whole time. He's been yeah. sitting there and he's, he's coming together again and come NCAA tournament, SEC tournament. We're back to relying on him at a different stretch. Kind of like we saw McCormick in uh, that final four run where it was really an issue throughout the year. And then when we needed him the most at the end of the season, when Jared was in some foul trouble and things, he came out and we were like, wow, this is McCormick. McCormick, I think we'll be doing that with KD yeah. by the end of the year. That, that's a great one. Um, uh, Bruce has been more flexible with finishing what, what NBA calls crunch time lineup. You know, who are you playing in the last five minutes? And granted, maybe it's because it's non-conference or whatever. He has played different lineups based on who's playing well in that game. Like Wendell played most of the second half last night because he was playing really well. And uh, Lior played against St. Louis because he was playing really well and it, it paid off. So I think, you know, and KD, you know, you got to keep in mind, he's the guy who just dominated Atlantis in that tournament, came like played so well. He hit a game winner just the other day against St. Louis. It was maybe a questionable shot, but he made it. He had the guts to take it. Um, he is going to win this team games in conference play. Like, I, I really believe that. Um, and I just hope, like you said, that, that arc would be fine. If, if that's the arc of his season and he has to kind of like settle in with Flanagan back and like figure some things out. But he, his energy, his effort, his passion, and his shot making are going to be needed and, and at multiple points probably in this conference season. I just, I just think we'll, we'll continue to get more frustrated with him, but then we'll look up and be surprised that we're giving him an MVP or two in the last like five to 10 games. But you're, you're right about the expectations. I mean, that, that's what it's all about in life in general. You know, like we, we didn't expect a ton. He like wowed us. He shocked us. Our expectations go way up. And then now it's like, it's not living up to that. He's still fine most of the time. Uh, yeah. But you know, you're right. I think those expectations are slowly coming down. So he can, he, he has shown elite athleticism and ability to make plays. And you just have to hope that that, you know, that's still there. He's just got to, figure out how to channel it and, and play with this group that's still coming together. Yeah, I think I think that does it for our kind of like preseason or pre-SEC kind of prediction stuff. I know this podcast is probably super long at this point, but I still, I say, you know, this is the SEC preview. I'm off work today. Matt's off work today. It's Christmas break. I am supposed to be traveling right now, but it's okay. Uh, I'm making it work. <laughs> yeah, well, I was supposed to be in a whole other country right now, but here we are <laughs> with COVID stuff. If we got time, we want to do our uh, final kind of for fun uh, teams. Yes, we want to, but short. Okay, we'll keep it short. Get an Excel sheet open or something so we can kind of actually write down all these uh, teams real quick. We're going to do a little segment here at the end, and I'm sure we'll get some more comments right at the end too from uh, me and Matt just overall. But we want to do teams we want to win the SEC least. Like we, you know, Tennessee, Alabama, Arkansas, Kentucky, kind of like the ones that are going to be probably the worst, but – I want to put it in order from the teams we'd be okay with winning SEC versus teams we wouldn't be. Typing them out now. All right. We'll see how it goes. It'll, it'll be interesting to see, like, a lot of this comes down to our, our place in the SEC world from a recruiting standpoint, from what teams are hot right now, uh, historically kind of stuff. Like, we'll see with Kentucky that they might not be as high as you might think they would be because 
it's just holding status quo when Kentucky wins. That doesn't change our place in the world, really, you know. So is number one the team that we most do we most don't want to win the SEC? Yeah. I'll, and we'll go the, from the other direction. I'll pick a couple teams that, like, if they won the SEC, it'd be like whatever. You okay. Know? Okay. You got to pull it up. Pull that up on the screen. When you oh yeah. Talk. Sorry, I'm not. I'm not. Oh. Is doing, it? Hopefully, this goes up on YouTube. I'm going to try to set that up today, and uh, you'll help. This will be helpful. We're, we try to keep it all podcast, uh, but we are putting things up on the screen uh, that help like us find things and help uh, see the rankings and different stuff. All right. All right, let's see who we got here. Uh, so I'm going to nominate a team that I would actually love to win the SEC that will not, a couple teams. Vanderbilt, uh, I'm going to put Vanderbilt for me up towards the top at number one. I'm, I'm putting, are you doing your own list too? Or are we gonna I don't know, we, we can talk list. it out. We can have Let's to- talk it out. We'll do a, a, a pot. We've been on the same wavelength for so many things. I think Missouri's actually should be above Vanderbilt. Because if okay. Vanderbilt starts coming on and they're in Nashville and they have a similar recruiting area, Cambridge is uh, from Nashville. Like that's the kind of team that could steal some recruits from us. Missouri wins the SEC. Sure, it sucks because their recruiting will go up and we'll have to play them. That's true of anybody on here. We don't recruit Missouri's staying area. We don't deal with them at all. So if they win it, it's like fine. What about uh, – is there anybody else, you know, you're free texting them. I'm afraid Texas A&M is dangerous. They could build a program. Maybe South Carolina. Or yeah, let's put State. South Carolina in there. I don't think that would, like, affect us. To, like, they all affect us eventually. Um, you know, no, we don't want anyone to win but us, but I think those are done. And I think you put Vanderbilt underneath that, maybe. All right, I'm good with that. And then we have to talk about, I think, the Mississippi schools and Georgia, not Georgia, because I don't want them to win at all. So maybe Mississippi schools. Florida. I don't want them to win either. They okay. could be at any moment, they could jump up and be a juggernaut like we've seen before. I think it's between the Mississippi schools and Texas AM because Mississippi is closer, but you are afraid, just like in football, that Texas AM can jump up and be like a dangerous team nationally. I would, I would put, I would rather Mississippi State win. I don't know why. I so. I, I, maybe it's just, I just don't feel Davis. like they'd be able to, I don't feel like even if they won that seed, they'd be able to build on it either way. You know, I think the same with Ole Miss, they just do not have the backing to build on it, you know. And then I think you put – maybe you even put Kentucky after that, actually, because Kentucky uh, – no, yeah, I'd take it back. Put Texas A&M there. Yeah, I'm going to go They're A&M. far away from a recruiting standpoint. You get annoyed if they really move up the rankings uh, from that standpoint. But now I think there's a good argument to put Kentucky next because if Kentucky wins the SEC, what does that do to us? Nothing really. They're always going to have for certain kids. They're, it's just status quo, you know? Like I don't want them to win because it's annoying to watch Kentucky win all the time. Their fans are obnoxious, but them winning doesn't impact us that hard. I totally agree. Let, let's reset. So for people who are just listening, so the six we have to decide still, we're, we're deciding teams we would be most okay with winning the SEC besides Auburn. And the six we have left that we do not want to win, Alabama, Arkansas, LSU, Florida, Georgia, Tennessee. So where would you go next? You either got to go Arkansas or Florida. I think that's the next tier on there florida could be a juggernaut at any point you, you, you say arkansas could be a juggernaut at any point i'm annoyed with them right now because they're getting that hype but i think you got to put arkansas because i think ultimately if florida got the same height arkansas is getting right now we lose out more you know from a recruiting standpoint 
from a national standpoint, Florida's fan base is so huge too that it changes the game a little bit and they get obnoxious. And Arkansas seems far away. So then Florida next. Okay. Which yeah. Would suck. You know, they're not like a every year rival or anything, but they could turn into a juggernaut at any point. And Florida's Gainesville is not really that far away. We get some Florida kids, we get some Atlanta kids. It's got to be Georgia next, right? I don't know. Cause uh, I think maybe you put LSU. Because Georgia, man, can you imagine if Georgia wins the SEC, the breakthrough in recruiting and, like, the travesty if Alabama and Georgia are good at basketball and we have to recruit against that, we have to, like, deal with that, and we play Alabama and Georgia every year. True. If, so you put – I might put LSU there because if LSU wins the SEC, they have all that Will Wade insanity. Like, they might just be uh, having to vacate that anyways, hopefully. And at least when LSU wins, like it's a little harder for them to build on top of that because everyone is like they will be the most hated team in college basketball if they win the SEC. They definitely will be amongst SEC fans. People will just be like violently upset with them. So you put LSU like I think that they won't be able to build on it the same way Georgia and Tennessee and Alabama will. Okay. Georgia's still I, I, tough again. Georgia's I, I still would tough go again. Georgia. I, to me, this is not hard. I, I, I know what you're – it's a good argument. But I would have had Georgia before LSU probably. I just hate LSU. Okay. Uh, I'm just I, saying, if they if they pull something off and become a good team, you're going to be wishing yeah. it was Tennessee that was the good team. But, but, again, would you rather Tennessee actually win something or Alabama go back-to-back? I mean, that, I mean no. do you want that? <laughs> so, I, think, I think it's settled next that Tennessee, because Tennessee has not uh, won the SEC since 2017 or 18. And so it won't be like this big buildup thing necessarily. It'll just be them kind of finally meeting hype. And then last, of course, is Alabama. And we and just can't have them go two years in a row. We can't have it. And that's what I was going to say. It's not so much just the buy. Yeah, we don't like Alabama. We don't want them to win. But it's the fact of what they accomplished last year that I think is the reason they're at the top of this list. Because like you said, I mean, again, it becomes a status thing, right? Like, we won the SEC regular season. They won the SEC regular season. We won the SEC tournament. They won the SEC tournament. And both of those hadn't won it in 30 years, you know, or 40 years. We went to the Final Four. They haven't yet. Um, we have not won back-to-back SEC championships, you know. So, like, you just don't want them accomplishing things that we haven't done. We want to be the first to do things. Um, hopefully national title one day, maybe. Who knows? And, and like uh, we were saying too, with there's been a lot of teams that have jumped up and done things in one year and they don't yeah. repeat next year and they fade away to nonsense. And you barely remember that they won the SEC that year. Or they had a good year, whatever you do it twice in a row, you build a reputation and Alabama could be a big difference. We've already seen it with them losing those three bad games this year, that their reputation can go up and down really quickly, even in a, a conference schedule from beating a zag and be like, Whoa, man, this Alabama. So NATO is really building something down there, man. They're really something special. To losing to Davidson and Iona and Memphis, people going, yeah, they, I don't know, man, they're, they're, there's something wrong down there. They're, it's Alabama. They only care about football. You know, it just changes the whole narrative. And yeah. so, when SC again, it would be brutal against a team bad. like with a, when we have a team like this that we think something, something special. It was one thing to loot when they did it in 2020 in a weird year with COVID with a bunch of seniors and we were kind of taking a year off almost. This year, if they do it, oof, their fans are going to be super obnoxious it's gonna be tough it's gonna be getting really frustrating when we kind of have our relief in basketball to have this happen you know yeah no doubt 
I, I agree with that list. I think that that's an interesting exercise. And it, it really, I know people probably don't believe it because we really don't like Alabama and Tennessee, but I really do think it would change some year to year, you know, based on the narratives like we talked about and what's best for our program. And, and I think right now, you know, it, it would be rough if Alabama went back. I think that's the big one. LSU, you can get mad about for all the things we talked about. Tennessee, it would be frustrating because we've kind of kept them down. Uh, they've been good, but we've kept them from actually accomplishing anything. You, you can almost put them in tiers. Like those top three, we just picked any of them when the SEC, I mean, Georgia's unrealistic. That's more of like a long-term thing or whatever. It's just going to really hurt. It's going to yeah. hurt from like a, uh, like a recruiting standpoint, a narrative standpoint, uh, like fan standpoint, like all of that's going to hurt. And then you kind of jump to a next tier of like, Florida, LSU, Arkansas, like we just don't want them to win. Like it's just not like they're going to be in our way and they're going to build a, a tougher program to beat in the future. And then you jump to like the next tier. Kentucky's kind of by itself with like, all right, that's just status quo. We just don't like them. It's so annoying to watch them win every year. And then after that, you kind of like, okay, it goes, you know, it's just yeah, all the other ones you don't care about as much. Yeah. yeah. Well, Cool. Um, any other kind of big picture thoughts? Obviously, we've, we've talked a lot. Hope everybody kind of uses this as a primer after Christmas um, for, you know, looking ahead to this. I think it's going to be an awesome year. I've been saying that. I think there's going to be a lot of good basketball. If you're just now kind of making the switch, you know, focus on basketball. This is a great time. Um, definitely tune in with us if you want to. We're going to we do episodes after every game. Um, we're going to keep that up throughout the year and uh, just really excited to see where this goes. It could go a ton of different directions. And um, I've said it three or four times, but LSU uh, game one is, is a heck of a way to kick it off. I'd just say to finish it up for me, uh, enjoy every game. We're already seeing tons of cancellations because of COVID. We missed all last year for the most part. It was a weird year because of COVID. Enjoy every game you can. Uh, you know, another part is there's a lot of focus in basketball and now in football too on the postseason on March Madness and on the SEC tournament where our seeds are going to be and different things. Enjoy every win. Enjoy every game. It's just fun to have a team that you can feel excited about and a team that every game that we go into is an opportunity instead of like uh, an issue or something just to throw on in the background. Like if you get exhausted halfway through SEC play, I think everyone does a little bit even this, especially with us doing a podcast on top. We're going to probably, there'll be, probably be a little bit of a grind at some point in there. Like, enjoy it, man. We don't have this forever. Like, don't think that this is forever. At any moment, this thing, you know, as we've seen with pandemic stuff or we've seen with NCAA stuff or we've seen with college sports, the way it's going in general, like, enjoy the mess out of this right now. Don't skip a game. Don't, like, uh, say, like, oh, I'll listen to that. Like, you know, we've seen some of our, our, our listeners on different podcasts. We saw, like, there's, like, little dips for some of the, like, bigger blowouts we have in uh, smaller opponents, man. Enjoy them all. Like, uh, it'll be a big deal to enjoy this LSU one, but enjoy the little ones, too, because there was a day, a, a lot of days for us, a little older people, and even older than us, that, you know, those were not given. Those were not fun. You only had to listen to them on radio just to listen to you lose in Mississippi State at home or whatever. So enjoy it. We're having a good time. I hope you all are having a good time, too. Review uh, on, on the podcast stuff. We don't have that many yet. You know, we keep, you know, you hear from lots of podcasts. I hear from a lot of podcasts. It means a lot to us because we are newish and we could really use some like reviews on there. Tell your friends about it and we're excited. Yeah. Um, thanks again to Jay Phillips, Michael Floyd for helping us out, kind of giving us some uh, context for going into this conference play. Appreciate their time. 
and um, we will see, see, we won't see you. Oh, we may if we're on YouTube by then, we'll find out. But uh, you'll hear from us after the LSU game on Wednesday night. War Eagle Jackson. War Eagle Matt.